Hello, everyone. Welcome to the June 23rd, 2021 episode of Weekly Manga Recap, where good times are going to be had by all. It's going to be all positive, happy vibes today. Mm-hmm. And not going to be talking about anything problematic or weird in the slightest. It's just going to be like all, you know, it's going to be a a non-molesty episode. <laughs> we can recap. Which is what we aim every episode to be, uh, uh, yeah, to state, like, just for the record. It's not like, you know, we consciously do it. It's just kind of like a general policy that we like to have around <laughs> because, you know, we respect people's boundaries. Yeah, you uh, never really know where is, things are going to go. You know, I, I consider that, you know, that is the foundation for a good relationship of any kind, but in particular, a romantic one. Mm-hmm. It's good to not have any molesty stuff in between people, because then how could anyone ever trust you with anything? Um, Nick, I feel like we're we're burying the lead here. We, we've skipped right over tangent stuff, which is fine. I had a stroke. Don't worry about it, everybody. We didn't want to talk about it. Let's go right to- <laughs> Let's go right to talking about the Bad Yaoi series. <laughs> honestly, honestly, if there were ever a way that I wanted to receive news that a good friend of mine had suffered from a uh, a very serious uh, health issue, and also one that, you know, like, you just kind of, like, is always kind of in, in the back of your mind, like, oh, God, I hope that no one never happens to anyone I care about. Uh I do hope that all of them just kind of come in the form of the the news that I got a bit earlier this week when you were like, hey, uh, so I'm in the hospital. And then I was like, okay, don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we, we'll, you'd focus on getting better. Don't worry about anything else. And then you're like, yeah, uh, I'm getting out today. Cool. <laughs> it was like literally I sent the text to you because at that point, like uh, my blood pressure was just was not going down very quickly at all it was like staying in this weird area so I, was like, I don't know they might keep me around i, I really don't know and then uh <laughs> i texted you and like the second i hit said the doctor came in it's like let's get you out of here you little scamp and he scuffled <laughs> me in the, uh, scuffled my hair that's just the ideal you know it's like not only uh, oh, did it have a great result but also did not keep me waiting for it at all <laughs> no you got like the best like <laughs> Time to news, like bad news to good news. Oh man, I hope that Chris is okay. Oh, he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay in like uh, the relative sense, but yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I, I had a stroke. Uh, I had high blood pressure. Was in the hospital over the weekend. Everything is generally okay. Uh, no lasting damage outside of uh, my right hand's a little bit numb, and they think that should go away. Uh, so you know, all things good. Uh, I will note. Uh, a couple things in the hospital. I have a couple of little short tangents here. Um, so at one point they have to go through like a list. Cause once you get admitted to like the regular, like uh, general admissions, essentially when you leave the ER, they have to go through a huge long checklist and it's a relatively new nurse, I guess, doing this. And she's just reading off questions. Like, uh, are there a bunch of steps in your home? Uh, do you smoke? Do you drink? And then with this exact cadence goes, would you like to die? I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I assume what like what she meant was, do you have suicidal thoughts? But there has to be a better way to phrase that question, because it absolutely sounded either like a threat or an offer. Like, would you like to die? Because I have a knife right here. I was like, all right. But then is, I can't imagine that that would be how it would be written down anywhere. Like <laughs> nobody who workshops the list of questions to ask of a patient would word it as. 
Would you like to die? <laughs> like, again, I get the idea of just, like, I'd... you want to, like, I don't know, maybe, like, phrase it a certain way, because you don't want to necessarily assume it's just depression-based, but, you know, anyone in the mm-hmm. hospital maybe has kind of shitty added, like, feelings or whatever, but, like, it's certainly, like, it shouldn't have, like, little asterisks next to it that says menacingly as though it's a stage cue. <laughs> And then a few moments later, she asked, do you want us to contact your congressional representative? And I stopped for a moment. I was like, I mean, now just say it. Yes, I guess my congressman should know. But they're like, no, the leader of your congregation, like your church is like, oh, no, <laughs> you can <laughs> you can pass on that. <laughs> but definitely send something through to my congressman. They should know <laughs> one of their constituents is in peril. <laughs> Oh, cool. So if you suffer a stroke, a silver lining is you get to bother a, a, a politician about what they're doing wrong. Cool. <laughs> yeah, just I just messaged him. I'm like, hey, what are we going to do about climate change? They're like, aren't you in the hospital? Like, yeah, but I'm worried about the bigger problems. It's very self-assuming. Well, uh, obviously, hate that that happened to you at all. I'm relieved that uh, it, you know, if it had to happen, it sounds like you know, it went about as well as it could. Yeah. Oof. But um, now that you're back, yes, and it looks like you make a full recovery. We are gonna dive right into this feel-good series and make you glad to be back. Yeah, I was. So. I powered myself there. I was like, you know what episode of Week Manga Recap I'm not missing? The one that I read seven volumes of Yowie bullshit to get to. <laughs> Which love stage. Yay. Perhaps this is the point where we should talk about why the title of the episode is the way it is. So when I, uh, except for YouTube, which this title will just be called love stage because YouTube is a hell algorithm and people probably won't be able to find the episode if it's not like that. Uh, Everywhere else, it's going to be titled Carito Prime presents love stage. Uh, The reason being uh, I picked this series last time. I was scrolling through, not intentionally. Like I was like, you know, we just did a kind of Yuri series. I was like, maybe it'd be nice to balance that with the Yaoi series. So I was quietly searching for something tagged with Yaoi, and I didn't want to go to any of the big hitters. I was like, we've done enough. We've done a lot of that this year. Let's go. Let's go. Like the way our our spreadsheet's done, you can go down deep to see like the stuff that's only recommended by like one or two people. And I saw this one tagged with Yaoi, and I saw Carito's not name next to it, and I was like. Credo's my boy. Credo has never steered us wrong, so I picked it. And then immediately, like, Credo was talking to our Discord, like, God damn it, I recommended that series like eight years ago. My tastes are better than this. And then everyone started reading the series. And within the first chapter, there's like sexual assault and just trashy, stupid nonsense. And I was like, Oh, it's your favorite series, Credo. That's why you recommended it. That's, that's why it's your favorite thing, right? Uh, yeah. So uh, here at Weekly Manga Recap, we uh, we always are have a very you know positive attitude towards community, and we never make them pay for the slightest mistake with constant teasing ever. So, uh, <laughs> well, it should be fair. We're not trying to bully Carito. Uh, this is good fun by everybody. Uh, yes. I'm sure if you if sh- I'm sure if there if I was in the opposite place, there would have been really dumb series. I would have also recommended eight years ago, and. Uh, those would be sure. a mark against yeah. me. Yeah. So. Love Stage. It's a Yaoi manga series by Aki Aki and Taishi Zhao. Ran from July 2010 through September 2016 in the magazine 
Asuka Ciel, which is a Jose magazine, so I've never heard of it before, and uh, is available in English by the publisher Sublime. Have you ever read a Yaoi series before this, Chris? Yeah, we've read a couple for Weekly Manga Recap. Have we? Uh, oh, God, what was that name? Ugh. Fuck, it's going to bother me that I can't remember the series name, but we did read one. I don't know if we read what's called, I guess, a boys love series before. Right. That's what I mean more specifically. Okay. I don't know if the one we did before was a boys love series or not. Are you um, talking about Blue Flag? No. Bloom Into You? Was that it? Bloom Into You? I think that's a straight romance series. So uh, I know there's one. I'm trying to get to that. Your favorite? No, no, no. Uh, wait. I'm thinking of Today Love Starts, Sam. Bloom Into You. Bloom Into You is Yuri. His favorite? Okay, everyone's saying his favorite. His favorite? I don't so, even know. It's great. We don't remember this series at all. Okay, yeah, that is, that is a boy. Which also right. okay. was probably a much better series than this one, but this one's going to stay on the brain a whole lot oh, more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I believe that uh, that does qualify as a boy love series. So, yeah. Um other than that one, the only other one that I can remember having read is Love Pistols, which I did for a Red Right to Left way back in the day in like 2010, 2009, something like that. Um, this was garbage. Um, <laughs> I, I was trying to explain it uh, to our Discord chat while I was when I was almost done reading it. Uh, and I explained that it, I said it was garbage in a very specific sense. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand that there are a number of genres out there that I think that are considered popularly trash, you know, like tra trash fiction in terms of like, so um, obvious, you know, that um, Harlequin romances, uh, you know, Shonen Harem series, uh, things that like have a very particular thing that play off of people's sexual interests. And because they fulfill a very particular interest that people have, um, there's a lot of garbage that gets put out there because it's something that is has a constant uh, demand for uh, people have a constant demand for. And sometimes those interests are niche enough that people don't aren't very distinguishing about the quality of that kind of series mm. just because nobody else is willing to write it and do it well. Um, there are obviously exceptions. There are plenty of things in all those genres that I named that are actually very good, compelling series in their own right. But generally the aim is just there is a market for this. I am going to fill that market. And this was... I don't I can't say for certain, but I get the impression that this was the yaoiest yaoi that has been written in a long time. Uh, I feel as though probably like the genre has like evolved over time. But this was only, you know, like in the last 10 years that this was written and it felt like it knew exactly what it was doing and was just completely determined to do nothing beyond being a yaoi series there are constant references to yaoi tropes within it yes. which it never does anything to reinvent or do in a clever way it 
celebrates the fact that it is fulfilling them. And then the one time that it does anything to subvert those yaoi tropes, it actively apologizes for it. <laughs> As if to say, and to keep and get, to give you to skip ahead a little bit, there is as we referenced before, a ton of just straight up molestation and sexual assault that happens yes. in this series, which is not given any content warning whatsoever. But there is one instance where the bottom or uke in the relationship tops instead, and there is a full page <laughs> warning before the sex scene that unfolds because the series does not care about content warning anyone from potentially traumatizing triggering scenes it only cares about apologizing to yaoi fangirl audiences that the dynamic of the main boy boy relationship is going to be switched for one sex scene uh oh man it's uh it's it's a fucking trip and i feel like we need to we need to start talking because when when we when I talked about Dear Sachan, I was like, man, I wanted it to be like a dumpster fire and it just wasn't. This is what I was talking about. This is a dumpster fire. Every yes. time something can happen in this series, it happens in the trashiest, dumbest way possible. And it just keeps going. It just barrels through it like a fucking train that's just going to roll over every bit of responsibility and, and like fucking comforting moments it's going to have as it just rails its way across on this sexy train to the future um so to back up a little bit so this series is about two boys yeah mm -hmm. um well it's, it's, it's about a lot of people nick it is a lot of, uh, okay to keep from what i understand a lot of the things that you can be observed about this series are just kind of things that can be observed about almost any Yaoi series. So I'm sure that if like anyone who is big into BL series were to listen to us talk about it, if we were to focus on certain things, they would be like, yeah, that's not really exceptional at all. Why are you even bothering to mention that? Uh, because so, Carito Prime recommended it and he would not steer us wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> How 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 could this have happened? We we hitched our wagon to Carito to lead us into the land of guys doing each other, and we expected quality, <laughs> goddammit. When I take a Carito Prime recommendation, I expect <laughs> two things. One of two things. It is either going to be a masterpiece, or like his favorite, I will forget we've written, read it at all. That's, uh, uh, yeah. Oh. So, Izumi is our main character, and... Ryoma is his love interest, and they are a yaoi couple. The Izumi is very small. He's very effeminate. Ryoma is Nick, very would, tall and Would fit. you say almost like a girl? Izumi <laughs> looks like a girl. Uh, when he was really young, he his family made him act in this commercial as the girl in it. And... That was when Ryoma first met him, and they were child actors together, and Ryoma fell in love at first sight and has been holding on for the last 10 years as they've grown up, and now they're on the brink of adulthood, and Ryoma is still in love with that memory of, of Izumi. And for some reason, uh, <laughs> which you may probably hear me say a lot when talking about events as they unfold in this stupid series. Yes. 
So Izumi's show business family, everyone involved in his family is involved in show business somehow. His brother is the singer of a band, which we never see. Uh, his <laughs> parents are involved in other aspects of show business, and we barely ever see them. Um, and he's got like an older brother figure who is his manager, uh, who has a much more not in your face relationship going on with his older brother. Like they're established to be in a relationship and they actually resemble humans in a relationship occasionally, which is more than could be said of Izumi and Ryoma. But anyway, so they convince Izumi through his otaku obsession with a cutesy anime character girl, um, to take part in a reunion version of that commercial he was in 10 years ago. The idea being, oh, this is when they got older and apparently they got married, I guess. Yeah. And so he has to dress up as a girl again. And wouldn't you know it, he still looks just like a girl, even though he's 10 years older. Okay. It's it's it's, so like it's a weird premise to begin with, but he doesn't want to do it. He is just obsessed about this manga. He's kind of a shut in in his family and the uh, uh, manager basically want to use this to kind of be his debut into the entertainment industry because they're like, look, this drawing thing's not great. And they use basically the star of the manga to just berate him. Like, why aren't you doing this? You're 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 wasting this opportunity. Do it. And it really like it came up like more than once in our discord. And it was the first thing I thought about what had happened. The scene where we see Flanders' parents who are beatniks and they're just like, we've tried nothing, man, and we're all out of ideas because they're like at wit's end with this kid. And it's like, I don't know, maybe if you start shitting all over his dreams every second of the day, he'd be more receptive to what you ask him to do. Izumi's dream is to be a mangaka because Mm -hmm. you write what you know. Yes. I guess. And I guess the two things that the creators of this manga knew were making manga and yaoi. So, <laughs> so that is what happens in this series. Um, so they convince Izumi to take part in the commercial, even though he has no interest in any aspect of show business, because they prom- uh, Ray, his, his family's manager, promises him, I think, a body pillow. I think that that's... It's, no, an, alarm, it's, an, alarm it's an alarm clock alarm that says clock. his name. Yes. So... He's obsessed with this, and he agrees to do the commercial. And so Ryoma sees Izumi when he's all made up to look like a girl again. And Ryoma's like, oh, Izumi, wow, you're so beautiful. I love you. I've loved you for 10 years and all this stuff. And Izumi's like, uh, no, because no, no. And eventually, of course, it gets revealed. And I think that it gets revealed by his older brother pulling Izumi's right. shirt down and being like, this is my little brother. And Ryoma reacts incredibly well. Uh, he takes it very maturely, and uh, he goes for not option A, which is to realize that, oh, okay, maybe I've made a mistake, and maybe I shouldn't have built up this memory of this person in my mind that I only knew when I was a kid and uh, didn't know how they are going to turn out as an adult. Uh, B, by realizing immediately, well, I still find you incredibly attractive, so maybe I have some things to question myself about, about my sexuality, because clearly if I was attracted to you and you're a guy, then maybe I'm not just into girls Uh, or see the most mature option, which is to call him a perverted transvestite and to say that Izumi has been deceiving him and to storm out. Uh, Now I've read the series, but I'm going to go with B final answer. (laughs) 
Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It was the most romantic option possible. Oh. C. He reacts incredibly transphobically and homophobically. Uh, and uh, that's when they were the red thread of fate hooked them both. <laughs> uh, They're bound to each other from there. Now, so, Nick. Obviously, he has that reaction. He'll have a mature response the next time he sees this character, right? He won't surely do something insane like commit a crime against him. So the next time that they're in a room together, <laughs> Ryoma is like, if you're a guy, I want to see you naked so that I can confirm for myself that you are 100% a dude because I've still got these feelings of love inside of me for this Izumi that I built up in my mind. So if I see you as a guy, I could get rid of them forever. Oh, damn. You're really hot when you're naked. I'm just going to start chomping on your nipples, like right here. And so he do. He uh -huh. do do that. He do do that. And uh, by the way, Izumi is basically like portrayed as a girl, like a lot of the time when they're intimate with each other, he, he any any case where he is like portrayed sexually, it is like, oh, look at how waifish he is. Look at how pretty he is. Look at how sensitive the parts on him that, you know, a girl would be sensitive in or how sensitive they are. He's so slender and small. Uh, but that's, I guess, just like that's that is how Uke's are in Yaoi, I think is it's just it. But anyway, that's beside the point. So this happens. And I believe it only stops because someone comes into the room while this is happening. Otherwise, Ryoma would have probably just gone to town on Izumi and never stopped. Like, I don't think that they stopped it on their own. I think someone interrupts them. Yeah, it's uh, his brother comes in and stops it from happening. Right. So Because his brother is the only person who seems to legitimately care about him. I, I saved a couple images on my phone. And there's one I forgot about where... Uh, I don't know, like, uh, Izuki, ha Izuki has, like, a nice feeling with Ryoma or something like that. And the manager, like, leaves the room and he's like, oh, wow, he managed to go from utter rejection to being close enough with Izumi to be allowed into his room. What sort of sorcery is this? And it's like, I don't know, maybe someone not being an asshole to him. The manager's a fucking cock at the start. He's such yeah. a dick. He's so mean. He, ki he kicks the door open and that's the running joke with him is he intrudes on Izumi's privacy. I will and, say uh, he, he does get better question mark. He gets less awful as the series goes yeah. along. But at the start here, you're like, cause his parents are gone. I don't know. His parents mm -hmm. have, have been abducted by aliens and it's a side plot. We never get involved with or something. Cause I don't know why they're just never around or bothered by anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Apparently that's also a, a Yowie thing. Like women just like aren't around unless they're harpies, essentially. So actual harpies, like mythological ones. Sure. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm going to read more Yowie. <laughs> Credo Prime, <laughs> you any more great recommendations? He's like, well, Super Lovers is pretty good. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you want, if you're into a uh, homosexual, homoerotic love and uh, harpies, then maybe mm -hmm. we should like just start reading some Greek uh, uh, mythology Ooh. on uh, the show. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. So that goes down. And um, so Izumi reacts to being assaulted uh, by being depressed in his room. And uh, Ray gets mad at him for moping. Yep. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
because everyone in the series is super great and uh, very cares very, and acts like humans and cares about each other and stuff. I think that there's there's a couple characters that at least act like decent people most of the time, but I think it, everyone gets at least one moment where you're like, "What the fuck is wrong with you specifically?" <laughs> Like I thought, I thought his friend from the manga club Kuroi was going to make it through without being a dick. And then that weird, we'll get to it. So, (laughs) so that all goes down. And so Ryoma won't fucking leave Izumi alone because then he like starts pestering him being like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said that stuff to you about, you know, you being a a, a perverted transvestite. Uh, I'm sorry that I said that. Um, Will you forgive me? And he's like, leave me alone. And he won't. So. Yeah, pretty much. Eventually, uh, they get to be on better terms because uh, Izumi is kind of forced into making a celebrity debut from there because like the paparazzi spots him and Ryoma like talking and hanging out and stuff. And they're like, who is this person? Are they lovers? Ooh. And so. He reveals to everyone, hey, I'm the person who portrayed that girl in that commercial, and I'm making my debut, and also, I'm a guy. It's, like, oh. We also should note, he, he Izumi has this like astounding Clark Kent quality, where he's yes. intensely hot and very effeminate and beautiful, so much so everyone could mistake him for like a model, until he puts on glasses, and then he's schlubby. And people are like, wow, you would never catch the eye or something like that. And I'm just like, all right, (laughs) it's a weird talent to have, but, you know, good for him. He's got like the, you know, the he's ready. He's ready for his makeover when he's in this 80s romance movie rom-com. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, Clark Kentigan is exactly it. Literally, there are several points in the series where he loses his glasses. And so people mob him because, oh, my God, it's Izumi, the famous hot new teen idol actor person. And so late in the series, when he's going out, he's like got his glasses on and someone's like, are you sure that, you know, are you going to be able, are you going to be OK if you lose your glasses? And he's like, I've got a spare pair of glasses right here, so I'll be just fine. <laughs> Solve that problem. It's, we've, we've nailed it. So Izumi and Ryoma start hanging out more from there. And Ryoma does get slightly better because he actually like takes an interest in what Izumi like wants to do. He's literally like the first person outside of his geeky club at school who sees what Izumi wants to do with manga and is like, Oh sure. I think that this, I, I, I think that that's great that you want to do that. And he is infatuated with Izumi. So he clearly has no idea how shit he is at drawing, yes. uh, but he's still very supportive. He offers to help him out. He helps him to put together a manuscript. he, when Izumi gets rejected from a, a manga contest because his art is so shit, Ryoma actually goes to the creator of the character that he really likes and says, hey, can you look at this manuscript? My friend is going to give up on his dream. And the author has some nice things to say. I, uh, like, oh, I love the dream and stuff. I will legitimately interject. That was a genuine touching moment when he gets That's, the feedback from the manga and the manga's like the art's a little crude but your heart absolutely comes out in the artwork. It reminds me of myself and just gives like really good advice. I was like, this is an actual touching moment. And I was like, maybe this series is about to turn everything around. (laughs) So 
So yes, that one episode from Sabrina the Animated Series where that thing har- happens with uh, Harvey, that happens in this manga, yes. Um, and yes, I did just drop that reference. Okay, because uh, I was like, you're going to have to explain it to me. I watched the regular Teenage Witch. I didn't... <laughs> one of like three episodes of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the animated series, involves Harvey uh, wanting to be a comic book uh, artist, but he's got a lot of problems with drawing hands, like so his art's not great. But then at the end of, this, of, the, of the episode... They go to see uh, this artist that he idolizes at like a convention or something. And he shows him his comic book and he says pretty much the exact same thing. Mm. Like a lot of your ideas are kind of, you know, amateurish uh, and silly. You have trouble with hands, but I loved it. It's a lot better than anything that I drew when I was your age. So a lot of virtually the exact same feedback that happens in this. So honestly, it just made me think of something else that didn't have <laughs> the problematic element Wait, in order to get to Are you point. saying that? So, <laughs> There isn't a ton of molestation in the Sabrina the Teenage Witch animated series. I mean, I'd have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure. You know, the uh, 90s just... were problematic in general, so I wouldn't be shocked if some of it <laughs> slipped under the radar. I'm just gonna like go back and t- just gonna go back and take a look and find out that like there was a lot of I don't know, like... Salem the cat was looking up Aunt Zelda's skirt a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, this is a darker show than I remember. <laughs> uh, so anyway. So that happens, and Izumi feels a sense of gratitude towards Ryoma. Great, cool. Uh, then Izumi is out and about, and uh, his ultimate disguise glasses come off. And so people are like, wait a minute, aren't you that famous actor, Izumi? Oh, can you sign this? Can you take a picture with me? Can you? And so he tries to run away from them, and he ends up ducking around into an alleyway where he immediately stumbles across a guy being mugged. And so the guy's mugging the dude, grab him and they're like wait a minute is this a is this a guy or a girl and he's like i'm a guy and they're like are you sure about that and they look down and they're paying him down and they're like wait a minute i think i might be into dudes and so they start immediately decide to start molesting him Uh, yeah there's there's a non-zero amount of characters who the moment they see azumi they're like this character's so hot i couldn't help but fuck him and you're like is this like a secret superpower or something like that? Like he's a mutant and his X gene is just activated and he has like pheromones that make people just like, I have to have sex with you. I'm sorry. It's what's what's happening. And (laughs) Greedo prime. It's his favorite series, by the way, just I want to throw that in there, pepper it in every so often. And now two things. Uh One, you may have heard me get into that situation and be like, well, it sounds like you kind of like just brought that up really suddenly. That's because it happens incredibly suddenly without warning. Yes. Two, I had to bring this up because this is the catalyst for Izumi realizing he is in love with Ryoma. Well, Nick, this is an important thing. Um, contrary to popular belief, and what most media would tell you, the only way to reach revelations in your relationship is for them to occur while you or the partner you're concerned with is currently in a position of being sexually assaulted in some manner. Because I believe every major milestone in their relationship kind of seems to come about either directly during it or as the result of it. 
Now, you might be thinking, yeah. well, hold on. What about the, the time where they have the revelation after the uh, amnesia arc? Well, remember, they only get to that because the director sexually assaults uh, Izumi during the casting call. So right. it's it's all there. It's just yeah. that is just the way the world works. Every story arc in this series features a new step in their relationship. And yes, features an instance of someone trying to sexually assault Izumi. Every single one. You're right. So Izumi just fights off three muggers. Good for him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Again, Good he's this... secretly Superman. He loses the glasses and, <laughs> you know. Fights off three guys who each probably have 40 pounds on him. But you know what? Good for him. So then he's like, because he gets the mental determination of, I can't let someone who's not Ryoma do this to me. <laughs> Huh? Inspiring. Because when Ryoma tries to sexually assault him, he's secretly into it. But when these guys try and do it, he's like, no, no one but Ryoma. Credo Prime informed me this is his favorite moment in the whole series. He said <laughs> he really, he really enjoyed this part. So he runs to see Ryoma right away and is, he doesn't say, this actually becomes a, co a problem. He doesn't say, I realized I'm in love with you. He says, let's do it right now. I want to have sex with you right now. And Ryoma's like, uh, are you sure? Okay. And then they... Okay. I need to clarify. They stick to oral at first. <laughs> what? Nick, what? why do you have to I clarify that? Because what the next part of the story is about. <laughs> Nick, you say that. Is the option of doing another kind of sex an entire, like, two-volume-long plot thread? <laughs> so, they have only oral sex, and it's magical and wonderful, and then you quickly come to realize that the reason that the story has been going at a very brisk pace up to this point is because the author and artist just really wanted to get to those seven-page-ish long each time sex scenes every single chapter and they can't do that if they're not a couple so they have to race to that point um so they get that to that point and so the next problem that they have to deal with is izumi realizes that now they're in a sexual relationship and he forgot to tell ryoma that he loves him and that's what they, why they do it so he makes sure to tell him immediately afterward. It's actually not that big a thing. I think that there's like one chapter that goes by before he says this. But then comes the next big problem in their relationship, which is that. So. They've kind of pretty much established by this point that the d dynamic they have is that Ryoma is the Sene and Izumi is the Uke. Ryoma is the big, muscular, tall top. Izumi is the small, thin, waifish bottom. Which means... Izumi is afraid of it hurting when uh -huh. Ryoma fucks him in the butt. Uh -huh. This is a two-chapter-long conflict <laughs> that they have to resolve. Izumi is scared that it's going to hurt when he gets fucked up the butt. God, I wish I had a way to like isolate clips in the middle of the show. 
That's the conflict we have to deal with. Nothing else is going on for like these two chapters. That's the conflict. Well, you'd be surprised. It <laughs> fucks me up the butt. I mean, I can imagine that is a conversation that maybe does have to happen at some point if you're, yes. you know, a young gay couple in love at some point. Um, and but it is. Isn't it funny, though? Isn't it funny that that's that that's what's going to happen? That's so funny. He's so insecure that he's going to get fucked with the butt and it'll hurt. And he's like, oh, I don't want it to hurt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's a funny conversation. What happens in real life? Maybe with a clown. Like a young gay clown doing it for the first time. <laughs> He's like, I don't want it to hurt, onk onk. <laughs> who would he be who would he be having sex with, Nick? Let's find um a fireman? No. What's a funny position? Chester Cheeto. Like not the real one, obviously. <laughs> He's not gonna get with a clown, but like <laughs> like an impersonator or something. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I want to look. We can't spin forever. I know this is Karito Prime's favorite manga, but we do need to speed this up because we have a lot of other manga to talk about. I do. There's, there, everything else I can sum up in sweeping points, which are there are two arcs left after this point, three, I guess, but two of them involve acting, which are yeah, Nick. This is like the fourth acting that I've ever seen. <laughs> Because Izumi is just so intrinsically good at it that there is no conflict with his skill whatsoever. He's been because his family has been preparing him for this his whole life and he's just been running away from it. So when he's finally forced into it, he's just the most brilliant actor ever And his first ever acting role is one of the leads in a major production in which he has to portray four different personalities in one character because they have some sort of mental split thing. And then at the end, but you find out that that day when it broadcast on, on TV, a third of all available television audiences were watching. <laughs> he is immediately a blockbuster critical darling. Also, he still wants to draw manga, but he's still <laughs> shit at it. <laughs> Yeah, he does. Look, I want to talk about the last arc. I I, I I desperately need to talk about it because it is it is my favorite thing in this entire I series. My, I was at my wits end by the time that I actually read that. So I was just scrolling <laughs> through it, trying to get through it. Because so. there was another moment I was like, maybe the series will end off on a different note. So we get to the last arc and the last arc is like, oh, no, Izumi has a stalker. And uh the, the it's the big plot like okay azumi can't stay at our house ryoma can he stay at your house and this is also the uh will the bottom switch with the top storyline uh but the focus is obviously the stalker uh and yes. it's it's a big danger azumi goes in for like a dress rehearsal and he actually gets assaulted by the stalker in the changing room basically and it was only saved by this girl who happens to work or another actress basically who's in the area and she sees it happen and stops it basically it's very harrowing um eventually uh the the they have a big blow up azumi and, and ryoma have a big blow up because he's like uh, ryoma's like i don't know if i can fucking take your dick i don't i don't know if i'm really willing to be at the bottom in this scenario um so he rushes out. He needs to find himself, find a smile, whatever Shawn Michaels. Uh, so he drives off, leaving Izumi alone. And Izumi is kidnapped. And uh-oh, Nick, 
It's the stalker, but not just the stalker. It's the girl from the TV studio. She saved him before. Well, that was just to lure him into a false sense of security, which was unnecessary because he never considered her a threat to begin with. But whatever. She kidnapped him and is holding him ransom, basically in a warehouse naked, taking pictures of him because she's going to ransom, you know, blackmail with those pictures. And you're like, wow, does she want money? Does she want all this? Because she works with Ryuma. They work at the same uh, or no, yeah, she works with Ryoma. They work at the same uh, agency. And uh, she she wants something. You're like, what could she possibly want? A lot of money? Because, I mean, what 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 else would you do, risk everything for? Well, it turns out her goal is she wants Ryoma to date her instead. Um, and he basically... It, it's such a weird... Like, I don't know why you had to kidnap <laughs> another person to do this okay, uh, how, how, how do you expect this to unfold do you think that he'll never tell the police about this <laughs> so all that breaks down she's like i hired a bunch of thugs to fight you and then the manager shows up and fights a bunch but then someone else comes in to save him it's the president of the agency and his assistant and they fight off all of the thugs and then they come into the room and they're like miss Marilyn." You cease this foolishness or at once. Or we may fire you from the agency. And I legitimately was like, I cannot believe not firing her was ever on the table. <laughs> she fucking kidnapped someone and sexually assaulted them. Well, Chris, that's how a lot of people meet and marry, evidently. So, you know, I don't think that that's actually a jailable offense in this universe. They don't fire her, by the way. She acquiesces and they're like, well, you'll receive some form of punishment. I don't know. Maybe we'll make you do a reality show. Like, they don't explain it. You're just like, hold on. That could not be the karmic resolution for this entire scenario. She's inflicted so much suffering on this person. It's... One of those series where in order for something to happen, something big has to happen in lieu of anything subtle or touching or whatever. A big thing happens to drive the plot forward in a very clumsy manner. And what is the go to big clumsy thing to happen in order to drive the plot forward? Sexual assault, because it is a thing that is big and emotional. And so it leads to all the important revelations in this series. Uh, what, what, what I, what I want to <sighs> specify is that happens. They say, uh, we're not going to press charges against you. Basically right. they leave sex scene credits. That is <laughs> the rest of the yeah, series basically. Cause again, the, the revolution a revelation from all that was like, you know what? I will let Azumi top me. They top him. Uh, and then I think there's one scene of the mom being like, I think both of our kids are gay. Let's have another one. And then it's like love stage and the credits. And you're like, what is this fucking garbage? <sighs> I haven't read a lot of, of boy love series. We don't need to. I'm We've read the best. Certain, I'm certain that there are better ones than this. Credo Prime. Only recommends the top quality. Oh, jeez, it's astonishing. It's just it, like you said before. 
every time that it needs to do something, it does it in the worst <laughs> way possible. <laughs> except, except, I don't know if the sex scenes are good or bad. Maybe they're yeah. great. I don't know. May- I don't know. I'm, so. I don't want to speak for Credo, but he did say this is the hottest manga he's ever read. So I'm going to assume that these are great sex scenes in that regard. I don't know. So if judging the manga on its own merits, that would have to be the main draw of the series, given the amount of attention lavished on them. So maybe this is actually great. <laughs> I, I, so... I This is a series that I almost... I don't enjoy it. It's bad. It's very, very bad. But there was something amusing while reading it because every chapter does something where you like you want to show people a page or something like that. You've been like, what is this dumb, dumb thing I'm reading or something like that? And it's very amusing in that way. Uh, So, you know what? I think Credo Prime really hit this one out of the park. Um, I don't want to say, look, it's too early to say. We're only in June. I think this one might sneak into my top three recommended series of the year. <laughs> I could just feel it. People are also stocked right now because they're stunned it had an anime. <laughs> yeah, uh, it had a 10 episode anime that aired in 2014. Uh, I actually checked the episode summaries on the Wikipedia article. Apparently it ends at the point where they actually get together. So all the oh. stuff with the amnesia story arc and the sexual assault at the end, that's not included in it. So just all the really top quality stuff where the main love interest sexually assaults Izumi and then they end up together at the end. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. We're reading Pokemon next, okay? I, I'm just going to spoil that. The next recommendation we're doing is Pokemon Black and White. Fuck now, because... what is... How much... Uh, how much porn is going to be a part of it? Part of the actual series? Because there's a lot of... I was going to say, yeah. I, I, I don't want to Nick, burst anyone's bubble, but there's a lot of Pokemon porn out there. I okay? don't believe you. I'm just going to type Pokemon porn into the old Google and see... Oh, my God. Yes. So... <laughs> oh, man. There is actually a lot of it. <laughs> but that... Okay. <laughs> you actually... I commit to a bit, goddammit. I just had a stroke. I gotta live. Uh oh! Actually, someone's pointing out that Heart Gold and Soul Silver is the next part. Oh, so, okay, sure, sure. Well, Heart Gold and Soul Silver will be we're, yeah. Pokemon Jojo yeah. Bizarre Pokemon Adventure. Yes, Heart Gold and Soul Silver. We'll do that part next. Okay. Let's go into our regular series, guys. <laughs> I'm so angry. <laughs> All right, I need to I need to get into the proper headspace. You need to zone out. You and, need to zen. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, I need to I need to go out and get uh, sexually assaulted so that I have a clear <laughs> presence of mind to remember what's really important to me. Um, Do you think anyone's ever written like a saucy yaoi fanfic of the two of us? Yes. Okay. Maybe you could find that, and that's already happened. Like they've already done that resolution for you. <laughs> like that happens in the fanfic, and then you say, "All right, now let's start talking about the recap portion of Weekly Monkey Recap, starting with My Hero Academia." <laughs> And that's how it ends. <laughs> that's your good night, good luck. Except right beforehand, you got butt fucked. But but did it hurt though? That's what's really got me concerned. It, dep- it, got- 
It depends on which part of the relationship we're at. It depends on if, you know, if if the other person, if the giving party has, you know, studied how to do it properly. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's it. You know. <laughs> Wait, everyone uh, thinks I'm the bottom. I don't like this scenario at all. <laughs> Heck, what happened to my hero? <laughs> my Academia, number 317, Scars, Blood, Filth. Uh, last time. Deku and a few heroes went to check out that uh, lead that they got from Lady Nagant, and it turned out it was it was a trap. It was it was all a a little joke being played on them by all for one who knew that she would tell them to go there so that he could lay a trap and blow them up. Um, they they all got out okay, if if you can believe it. No one uh, got uh, even apparently even scratched from the instant it's almost so unremarkable they seem to acknowledge that like wow guess we all got out of that one to the point where like why did we even go there (laughs) like they almost like that explosion sure happened uh they established that lady god is still alive at the hospital uh but um she's not doing she's not in great shape uh then we are re 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 introduced to Kamui Woods and Ed Shot and Mount Lady, but with odd like little th- introductions for them. Kamui Woods is introduced as rookie, Mount Lady uh, as get it done gal, and Ed Shot as with Kamino Pizza. Are these supposed to be new names, or are these just uh, code names? I think that they're just being reintroduced to us. And then they have little monikers next to oh. them, I think. Okay. Nick, what's so Domino I, Pizza? I think it's Ed Shot's one of his sponsors. Okay. There you go. I, that's why I brought it up, because I thought it was so weird. Uh, so, they're, they basically, you know, are like trying to figure out what to do. And they bring up all the problems that they're having with, you know, the way that things are in society. And Endeavor mentions that Desute Goro quit two days ago. Desute Goro is the least known member of the group that Kami Woods and uh, Mount Lady form. Uh, He's the guy who had the big things, gauntlets around his wrists. And we get a little flashback from Mount Lady's perspective where he's just kind of slowly stripping off his uniform and then putting on civilian clothes while he says... You know, I I thought that I was, you know, good enough. I thought that I was a proper hero. I thought I was better than all the other heroes that quit. And I'm sure we all thought that way. But I'm not a hero. I'm only human. And he somberly walks away. It is, honestly, a way more effective scene than with number nine hero samurai dude. Go like, I'm quitting! And that's it, so... Yeah. What did you think about this little sequence? Do you think it was necessary or uh which part? Like w- once the dude gives up? Yes. Yeah, that part's great. Like yeah. you know, it's it's a character I vaguely remembered. So I was like, okay, like I do know your design. I was like, all right, it's a pretty solid, like kind of sad story of just a guy being like, Look, I, I tried. Like, I just can't like I'm burned out, you know. It's a real thing of just like I'm burned out. I can't fucking handle this shit right now, and it's making me tired. And I just I'm, I thought it'd be different, and it's pretty tragic. Yeah, 
And yeah, I mean, this was a guy that like is always like the last uh, on my list of like pro heroes that I remember. But when you show me him, like, oh yeah, I do know that guy. Oh, yeah. like, okay. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, and they also established like what he was up to and just remind us of some of the stuff that he was doing. And they're like, yeah, it really sucks that things are like this where we're losing allies all the time because of this pressure on anyone. So this sucks. Uh, then they also say. With law and order all but gone, power runs unchecked in the streets, so we can't let the world learn the truths behind one for all. Because if that were to happen, Deku will be caught in a vicious cycle of negativity. Okay, so. <laughs> at least there is an explanation for. No, anyway, so. So, then uh, they Mount Lady brings up the idea, what if all for one like goes public about that and just reveals this to everyone because that could potentially give him an advantage in all of this. And it would, and it never says that would force us to mobilize and lock Deku away somewhere safe. So his silence tells us he doesn't want that unless Deku and the rest of us are out there taking action. We'll never get any leads because there's not enough cops and not enough heroes. So they take a little bit of time to establish like, why doesn't someone do this? Because of this. Yeah, that's basically it. So, um, Endeavor looks at his phone, he gets a notification, and he can't answer his son's message. Remember how desperate he was to try and get Shoto to answer him online or whatever it was? Yeah, he's too busy right now to do that. So, oh no. It's a nice detail. Go yeah. Back, so. Uh, Midoriya runs into another guy that all for one hired. He beat him. <laughs> that, that's Bad cool. shirt guy defeated. Yeah. Uh, has him all strung up and, uh, All Might is there with them because he's, you know, been following him around and everything. Uh, they leave the guy behind. Deku says he didn't have any intel. Be careful because he might also explode. But as he rushes off, All Might stops him. He holds up a little bento box. He's like, you haven't been eating. Because All Might's a good dad. He cares about his boy. But Deku just says as he walks away, you don't have to tag along anymore. It's fine. And he starts to leave, and he's thinking about what All for One had told him when he blew up the house around him, that you know he was going to be his target from now on, not All Might. And uh, then he also thinks about all the stuff that he, you know, has learned about, about how dangerous everything is and everything. And uh, All Might tries to stop him, but he says, I'm capable, what I'm capable of now is on par with you at 100% and with no recoil to boot. And so he gets ready to leave him behind. And as All Might's watching him, he's thinking about what he had told him back when he was, you know, comforting him, saying, I need you to tell the world I am here. And he realizes in that moment, you know, I know that you want me out of harm's way. I know that you have a duty because you're the current wielder. But, you know, you don't look back at me anymore. And I swore that I would raise you up and protect you. And he reaches out for Deku as Deku just continues to leave him behind. And he thinks, you're the only one who can bear this burden. I know how crushing it is. So I need to tell you, do your best and you deserve to rest. But as he tries to stop Deku, Deku just kind of hops away. In the sky. And All Might 
trips and drops the bento box. No, the bento box! Look, I think it was an objectly cruel thing to do to release this chapter where Deku's surrogate father tries to feed his young boy and Deku is too tough and runs away and All Might falls and drops his fucking lunchbox spilling it on fucking Father's Day of all goddamn days. This is the moment I was like, no, turn around and give him a hug, goddammit, Deku. You're not being a very good surrogate son right now. No, you're not. It's Father's Day. Not in Japan. Take off that mask, or you look stupid. Yeah, big dumb, dumb, dummy. Buy your dad a tie, goddammit. <laughs> Stecky leaves all my behind. And then, unexpectedly, we cut to Stain. He's got some of his gear on. And we get, I believe, narration from Stain's perspective saying, they say he appears without a sound, that he's got a whole mess of quirks in him. That sounds like All for One's ability, right? Or a Nomu. But apparently, he goes around helping people. The rumors say he's caked with blood and filth, which cover up his many scars. Looking at him, you'd never guess he was a hero. And oh, look at how dark and foreboding Deku looks now. He's got black whip tendrils coming off him like spider claws. And oh, he's so dark and, 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 and scary looking. Ugh. Take off your mask. It's stupid. I just like the note that they're like, yeah, he never bathes, so it's just like yeah. crusted shit built up over time. Like, oh, Clean your room, Deku. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't know a ton about comics. I can only presume this is meant to kind of be Deku's black suit Spider-Man kind of moment. Down, down to the point of black tendrils kind of unconsciously kind of working around him and things like that. Um, and it's very edgy. And it's very 90s, and it's fine. Like, I feel like this is a moment in the manga a lot of people are going to either be like, okay, we're at this point now. It's pretty good execution at this point. Or they're going to be like, this is lame. This is dumb. Deku shouldn't be this edgy tryhard because there's a lot of, like, pushback against that 90s edge. I'm 100% certain that the influence of that period of comic books is very deliberate right here mm -hmm. uh, because of how directly My Hero Academia references uh, well-known Western comic book uh, uh, figures and conventions and such. Um, I think that it is in a way probably meant to feel like it doesn't fit not just because Deku, you know, looks all dark and dark superhero-y edge lordy right now, but because we know who Deku is, yeah. and this is not him. Yeah, so say, like this is this is a, a a downswing in his character. He's 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 in a bad place, and he needs people mm -hmm. to help him. So I think that is you are meant to not think that he looks cool. Essentially, I'm sure that there are going to be people who do. And I think that on some level, they're going to be missing the point of this. Now, sequence. Nick, how am I supposed to know he's taken on a dark personality, but it's changing him in ways that aren't healthy if he doesn't start dancing as he goes down the street? Yeah, <laughs> like if he did that, then I could really tell like, OK, he might have very cool powers now, but this man is a loser. <laughs> There needs to be a point where Deku, you know, while he's going through one of the streets that's, you know, in ruins because of the stuff that's going on. And he looks in the, the window of a of a of an abandoned shop and he looks at himself in the mirror. He just, goes, just kind of <laughs> gives himself a little bit of half bangs. 
and that's how you know he's on the dark side. And then, you know, uh, Mary Jane sees him in a club, but he just wants to do weird, dirty dancing or whatever with... Which character was that in that movie? It was movie? Um, Gwen Stacy, wasn't it? Was it Gwen Stacy? I, I thought know she so, was the blonde. blonde. Yeah, it's Gwen Stacy. Yeah. They introduced her, I think, in the second movie, I want to say, or maybe in that movie, I think. Anyway, so yeah, that was a, <laughs> that was very silly, but incredibly memorable. Yeah, you're yes. correct for that. All right. Speaking of memorable, uh, which is ironic because someone doesn't remember something in this chapter, let's talk about Undead Unluck Chapter 68. Be back soon. Very um, tiny font. Yes, yeah. very tiny. So we open with a report back to Jewis basically saying, okay, Summer's neutralized and we nabbed a member of Under. So Fang has been captured. And it's, it's worth noting that. And everyone's like, okay, cool. Have you noticed any changes? And you know, Tatiana's immediately like, changes? Oh, right. The world no longer has Summer anymore. And you can see very tiny in the background there. Shen's like, what's Summer? <laughs> <laughs> Because he doesn't have an... Uh, he's not a negator anymore, yeah. so he doesn't know about seasons. And immediately, Apocalypse starts laughing as the world just suddenly is freezing. Snow is shooting everywhere. And they're like, holy crap, where did this blizzard come from? And Apocalypse is like, yeah, you got all cocky because you beat hu Summer, but now you're in hell. Because you've thrown off the balance of the seasons. Like, it's going to freeze now. There's only cold, basically, left. So... um. Everyone's like, what's what's going to happen? Uh, they try to do the same trick by making him talk. Well, they actually do. He's like, oh, no, that's not fair on truth. Rest assured, I'm not talking. Anyway, time to talk. <laughs> he basically <laughs> explains, hey, summer had its rollover like positive temperatures. So by defeating it, now winter has the momentum. And if you don't beat winter right now, the world is going to freeze. Everyone will die. This is a way it'll end. So yeah. immediately, Fuku's like, "Well, that's fucked up. We just completed the quest you gave us." And Paco's like, "What the fuck? What do you think the quests are for? They're not fun things for you. We're fucking with you. It's a game to us. <laughs> like you should be glad we gave you rewards to begin with." He makes a good point. Yeah. So like, okay, well, we're gonna have to do something. Where's Winter at? Can we deal with them? Uh, Juez is like, you know, he's over by Mount Ararat. Um, he's staying over it. We have to negotiate with Billy and get him to use Burn to kill Winter. Because if this keeps up, everyone's going to die. We have to avoid that. And they're like, well, that deal seems kind of hard. Like, what do we do? Give him Apocalypse? Like, well, we can't do that. And we can't give him Fuko. Like, they're after that. So, you know, we're, we're going to have to figure something else out. And at that moment... Tella shows up, the guy Hello. who was over there with uh, Billy previously, who has like the 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 giant, what would you call it, like a, a radar dish? No, what's the name? Transceiver? Uh, antenna. I don't know. But no, like the the part that comes out, kind of like a stethoscope. Oh, I have no idea. Okay, well, all right. Uh, he comes out and he's just like, yeah, you. Sh I, I believe it's Billy talking to them through it basically but it might actually just be tella uh i'm a dumb person so i don't know these things sometimes uh so everyone's like wait who's this guy and they're like that's tella billy's aide. nobody knows what his powers are uh and okay it is tella actually because he says courtesy of the boss um he throws something to Fu uh fuko and is like take it and it is juez's arm and her sword <laughs> 
And uh, everyone's shocked. And they try to attack the guy immediately. And they just can't. Like, there's like an invisible wall or something blocking him. He uses his little speaker thing, basically shifts it around. It kind of blocks everybody's attacks. Uh, And they're just like, what do we do? What are we going to do? Tell us thinking, if she's an ordinary person, that she should help meet our demands. What will your heart tell you to do? Fuko Izumo. And Fuko says, Mr. Tella, at this rate, many people will die. So would you please kill Winter right away? He's like, no. (laughs) If we trade when we slay it, then we lose the upper hand. Not even a trade with Apocalypse would be enough for that to happen. So... Like he's like people were dying in mass is great for us. Those people without powers will die, and the numerators, the gators, will then be easier to find as a result of that. So, Fuko says, "All right, in that case, if I go to your group two under, will you kill Winter right away?" Immediately, Juez is like, "You can't do this. We need your powers for the loop. If anything happens to you," and Fuko just says, "We have to protect the innocents, right?" So this is the only way to do it. I'll be fine. Even when Mr. Billy betrayed us, everyone who fought him had their abilities copied. Everyone except me. And I'm sure that he hasn't met some kind of requirement yet, which is why he needs me. So I know you still trust him because even though you had your arm blown off by him, you haven't said a bad word against him. So I'm going to trust him, which is why I'll be the one to go and check this time. And she takes off her union uh, communicator and just says, Oh, can I borrow your sword? I'm all out of bullets. And uh, she takes Joyce's sword and agrees to go with Tella. And we end the chapter with uh, Andy basically saying, Hey, don't you go dying on me. And she says, I won't. I'll be back soon. Yeah, so uh, we've had a lot of action chapters of Undead Unlock recently, but now we have a very, you know, pivotal plot chapter. I don't really know what the implication is supposed to be of a lot of what's going on, but then again, Undead Unlock tends to kind of be deliberately confusing a lot of the time. So this, the party's been split again. Yes. That's, 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 that is the main thing that is going on. Uh, I'm sure that... Uh, it definitely feels as though Foucault is going to be separated from the rest of the table for a little while. Uh, given the pace that Undead Unluck goes at, it probably won't be for very long. But yeah. I think that we're in for a little bit uh, of a stretch with, of that happening. It's so. worth noting that they haven't, I don't believe they've ever stated having any kind of work yet with Spring. So I th- And we see in the, the little side shots of Juiz that uh Nico and Phil are there. So that would only mm-hmm. leave Ashiki who I I don't know. I think he's still hurt. So I it doesn't look like they do have a second team currently working on that. So maybe the next dark's going to have to deal with trying to take down um so, uh, spring without unlux powers or anything like that. Mhm. And it looks like Juiz is being fitted for an artificial arm right away. Yes. Too. Because there is like a big metal big metal cap that's been put on her stump. So Yes. Uh but yeah, that's where we are at. Um I didn't really know exactly how to feel about this chapter, but it feels like one of those, you know, setting up for the next big thing to happen. I did appreciate, you know, more of the shenanigans using untruth to get more information out of Apocalypse and him be like, Stop that. Uh but uh that's about it. 
All right. Uh, it's Boruto next, right? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> I wish they could be more excited, but it's a really boring Boruto chapter. Number 59. Night. Knicket. Knicket. Oh, look at that sexy picture of, Bor- of uh, Kawaki on the cover. Yeah, looking like he's all <laughs> modeling. Yeah. He's so cool with his vest with pre-torn off sleeves. I think that's what's going on there. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so, he's probably torn them off ahead of time. Yeah, you know. He's like, I can't, I can't keep the guns covered up. <laughs> so we open this chapter in a flashback to uh, when Code had learned that Kawaki was going to be a vessel for Ishiki. And he took this news very well by trying to strangle him. <laughs> so, so, um, Kawaki just kind of unloads on him for a bit. And he's like, I'm so jealous of you, Kawaki. I hate you so much. If you weren't a chosen vessel, I would kill you right now. And at that moment, Kawaki bolts up right as- awake. And, uh, it was all a dream. He, he was just remembering what had happened in his past. And, uh, he's in, um, a kind of checkup room, like a lab kind of thing that I think that he's been monitored in multiple times to this point. And Amato is there and Samira is there. And so Samira, of course, asks him what he was going on. And he says, yeah, I just had a dream about a uh, code. And he was whiny and resentful as usual. <laughs> he was cool, right? He was I'm not awesome. whiny. Everyone thinks I'm cool. They talk about how cool I am when I'm not around. Uh, but he says, oh, yeah, you know, he's just being whiny as usual, even though I'm not a vessel anymore. And Amato's like, you still are a vessel. You're still an Otsutsuki vessel. It's just that the guy who was going to inhabit your body is dead now. Like, the fact that you are a vessel is never going to change. And Kawaki's like, wait, what? And Amato says... To keep this very brief, it's much much briefer than the way this fucking chapter puts it. It was a moment where I was like, I wonder if Kishimoto is still writing this series. And then 17 fucking pages of exposition later, I was like, yeah, he's still working on it. Uh, he says, essentially, you've still been prepared to be an Otsutsuki vessel. That is never going to change. It's just that there's never going to be any danger of you becoming one. Because the person who was going to do it, their soul is gone. So that's not going to happen. No one else is going to jump in anyway. But he also says like, and hey, you can still Otsutsuki-fify or however you say it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Nick, come on. Otsutsuki-fication? Come on. It's it's only said 17 times this chapter. You can still Otsutsuki-fy your body. And that's proof that you're still otsutsuki fi <laughs> Have you ever had a moment where you're reading something, you're like, this is fucking nonsense. And it was, I think, the third time I read Oshitsukification in a fucking (laughs) sentence, and I was like, this is garbage. Uh, And they they talk more about stuff. Amato says, your plan to implant Boruto's karma into code is not a bad idea in theory, but it's not going to be practical because you would still need to keep him alive until you can fully take over his body. And if you do that, he'll keep on trying to kill everyone. So that's a bad plan. Uh, so then he's like ramped up to it and then he takes out a cigarette and proceeds to, (laughs) he puffs so much smoke out of this tiny little cigarette as he's talking over the next several pages. 
unless he's like changing cigarettes off panel and we're not seeing it there's a lot of smoke coming out of that one cigarette well nick it's it's chakra smoke uh ah. see cigarettes have to be even more perverse uh, like perversive and, and and mean in the the ninja world so they also drain your chakra as you use them <laughs> all of the uh anti-drug campaigns are i was like cigarettes can take away your chakra don't wind up <laughs> But you get to do cool tricks with all the smoke you breathe. So, you know, that's why the kids always get hooked. Because uh, here's the thing, Nick. In the world of Boruto, like, the, the the silhouette of a man smoking is not a cool image. The cool image in the world of Boruto is someone with, like, bangs that shoot off to the side and, like, really long arm sleeves. But you still have, like, fingerless gloves underneath. And, like... Maybe you're wearing like a suit, but like the suit's been ripped in half, so it's like two different suits put together. But then you're like tie it together with like a bow tie or something, and then you have like giant, you pants. know, just off the top of your head. <laughs> yeah, like a couple capes or things like that. Like that's pro- that's the silhouette of a cool character in Boruto's world. So the only way to get kids to smoke is if you let them do cool tricks while they do it. Yeah, I think that you're missing one thing in that description though, which is you need to advertise what kind of power you have by just having it like somewhere like on your face, Mm. just like immediately obvious. So theoretically, if my power was I got to shoot ties at people, I should just have a giant tie like just stapled across my face, right? (laughs) Exactly. Okay, got it. Not even like around your forehead, like the way that someone wearing uh, any sort of uh, tie or rope or uh, strap uh, would put it <laughs> around their head. But yeah, in a really obtrusive way, going down diagonally across yes. your face, that would be... The idea. dumbest way possible, you could say. Yes, okay. that's perfect. Yes. So, Amato suggests that Kawaki um, do a dumb thing, of, which is like, why don't we just, you know, get you another thing where we like Otsutsuki-fy you again, I guess, because your body's already prepared for it and you'd get stronger and there'd be no risk for it because this wouldn't be, you know, for the point for the purpose of preparing your vessel for anyone. You can trust me. I'm totally trustworthy. <sighs> Kawaki rejects it and he leaves. So Sumire is left there with uh, Amado while he stalks off angrily. We keep now we start cutting back and forth between scenes, which is really annoying because like it's it doesn't serve any purpose to cut back and forth between these scenes. You could just have them all happen in a row. But anyway, so uh, Code is with Ada. And uh, so she's talking a little bit about Kawaki and she says, you know, if you were to kill the Hokage, that would make Kawaki all upset. Can you not do that? And he's like, no. All right. <laughs> Great negotiation. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I got to kill everyone that, you know, you know, is responsible for Ishiki being dead. They must all be punished. And he just says, but you promised not to kill Kawaki. Yeah. Making an exception for him. Yeah. Okay. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bug starts. I forgot song. he wears a fucking ascot too. Holy shit, man. <laughs> it's, it's every time you see this character, <laughs> it gets a little wackier. Bug provides like the only entertainment value in this entire chapter that's purposeful because he like very obviously tries to get them to leave. <laughs> uh, do you guys just like like want to go right now and not kill me? Please go away, leave now, please, please. Uh, getting pretty. 
pretty tired. I think I'm going to check in for the night, which I guess means everybody should go on to what they were going to do. Obviously, we don't have room for you guys to stay here, so you guys should get going. But I am pretty tired. Ooh, boy, look at the time. Oh, I'm going to go brush my teeth. That's part of my going to bed routine, which you know what that would mean with the door right there. (laughs) And you guys can just leave. I'd have you stay, but, you know, we are a full-capacity base right here. There is no room for you. I killed three guards on my way in. Yeah, but they're guards. They didn't have beds. They They were the three people who didn't have beds. It's weird, but you know know where they do have beds? Outside. (laughs) I don't know where. It's a frozen tundra wasteland that we live in, but if you just head on out that door, I guarantee... Because you, you can open, I don't know if I said this, that door is not locked. You can leave whenever you want. You don't have to ask because, I don't know, sometimes millennials, you get you get in a place, you know, too nervous to ask. I told you, look, I have anxiety too. That's why I need to take my anxiety meds right before I go to bed. So I watch as I take them now and you can watch and just process some of the words I just said as I go to bed. And you guys would obviously be weird if you just stayed around. So Go. <laughs> Get out of my house. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> oh, I, I wish I could have contributed to that, but I, I it got to a point where I couldn't breathe. So. <laughs> All right. So. <laughs> I saw a picture of Bug just thinking to himself, like, Link! <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> Get out of my house! Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry, like... You like you did all that, and like literally every time that Bug appears in this chapter, he literally is going, "You need to go now, please." <laughs> so, uh, Ada establishes that she is not good at the fight and stuff thing, so uh, she says to Code, "Don't rely on me in combat." Uh, and he's like, "Oh, I thought you'd be an amazing fighter too," you know, with the heels that she wears. <laughs> I thought that was your your fighting attire, a pair of shorts, a turtleneck sweater, and a pair of high heels. Yeah. But Ada says, you know, we're we're a good match though. Like you do the fighting, I'll do like the other stuff, like with the need to be smart uh, stuff. I'll be your eyes and ears, you'll be my guardian knight. I, and Code's I, like, I, okay. I, I love that it has a moment where she's like, No, I don't fight at all. I'm I, I don't even like combat. I don't like pain either. And Code blushes and he's like, oh, so delicate. <laughs> You're like, God, I know, I know it's his, I know it's her power to get dudes down hard for her, but fuck, man. Like the moment of like, oh, what a delicate wave. You think that like everyone else who encounters, well, cause like Bug doesn't act that way around her. So I'm sure like everyone else around her is just like, oh my God, she's so beautiful and pretty, but they're not going to be like, oh my God, she picked up a fork. She's so delicate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but Ko does bring up the point of, hey, Otsutsukis are immune to your ability. So what if like Kawaki tries to kill you? Uh, And it's just like, how dare you bring up such a, such a detestable question? 
And Coach says, yeah, but you can't use your abilities on them. So what are you going to do? So Ada's like, all right, I guess I should prepare for that. Come with me, Code, and I will introduce you to my other knight. <gasps> and then we cut away from there. Uh, you know. Bum, 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 bum. Amato still puffing away at that cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, we uh, cut to Kawaki, who is walking down the street all mad, and Shikadai who, God, he's just 10-year-old Shikamaru, I swear. He is, 100%. There, someone was like, we need Shikamaru to be in this series, but he needs to be able to talk to the kids without it being weird. <laughs> oh, so you've got all the kids of the different characters in this series. So we could have, you know, like, some of them look like, you know, a combination of both their parents, like Serata and uh, Inojin and stuff. But uh, what character should we make exactly like just one parent? Well, Boruto, since he's just Naruto, but young again. And uh, Shikamaru, because, you know... <laughs> it's not like he has an important wife or anything like that. <laughs> Amazing that Karui had more influence on the appearance of her child than Tamari did. <laughs> so, <laughs> Shikadai starts to call over to Kawaki, but Kawaki is still thinking about the shit that Amato taught him, so he's just like, SHUT UP! and just start screaming to himself in the middle of the street. It was this moment. It was this exact moment where I said, oh, right, Kishimoto is writing Kawaki now. He's probably going to suck now <laughs> when he's just walking in the street and his ang angsty thoughts get too much for him, so he just starts shining. Ah! I was like, oh, Kawaki's going to be a character I hate again. Okay. Uh. So Shikadai goes to talk to Kawaki and he's like, hey, who and what you are is being kept top secret. Civilians shouldn't know anything. But ever since Ashiki attacked, a lot of rumors have been flying around about you, both true and false. So don't mind that. This isn't going to help him feel like more <laughs> secure around people if you tell him uh, no one knows the truth about you, but they assume the worst. <laughs> um. So Kawaki apologizes for being a burden to everyone. I'm sorry. And Chikadai says, oh, don't worry about it, even though I just made you worry about it. Anyway, nothing gets accomplished with these two meeting up in this scene. They're never brought up again in this chapter. I have no idea why we saw this at all. Anyway, moving on. We cut back to Amato, who is doing very important stuff on his computer. Uh, and Sumire is kind of like, hey, so when you were talking about Kawaki's karma... What did you mean, and what were you... Like, I don't get what you were trying to do. And Amato's like, did you want to be my assistant so you could spy on me? And Spira's like, uh, don't change the subject. <laughs> and Amato's like, well, you know, uh, I'll explain <laughs> again. <laughs> so, now that we've clearly established what's going on in Kawaki's body, think of it like this. <laughs> so... <laughs> Being a vessel means that Kawaki is like a house, and Ishiki's power sleeps within the house, and there's a door, but there's no longer a door that will let Ishiki into that house. And, oh, I already got it before this stupid metaphor. Anyway, so Sumire says, oh, you mean you can reconstruct his karma? Yes, the foundation of the house is there, and we can just build it up more without putting another door in or whatever. I think I might have a way to help Kawaki. 
In my spare time, I've been developing a video game. <laughs> Perhaps if he plays it and becomes the best player on the planet, it will unlock new abilities for him. <laughs> Some might say an infinite amount of them. Although, if you were to turn infinity to the side, it would be an eight, and he would be a ninja eight. And this is some good shit. You want to hit? <laughs> just let me have this. Like, it's, like there's little, <laughs> those little messages in the corner from Kishimoto. It's like, just give this to me. <laughs> oh, God. So Samiri just, like, very directly asks Samato, okay, but do you have, like, you know, any, like, other, you know, things that make you want to do this? And Amato just, like, turns to look at her meaningfully. But then we cut to another scene because it would not make any sense if we just continued the scene there. No, no, no. We have to cut away again. To where Ada and Code are, and she has Bug open up another capsule thing to let out another android person that's inside this one. But when it opens up, oh, it's empty. <laughs> Except no, it's not. An annoying little kid appears. <laughs> it's as though someone, like there was a focus group. And they were like, hey guys, we got Code, everyone's new favorite character. He is this obnoxious kind of like, mean girl he's hanging out with what's the perfect third archetype to make this group as unbearable as possible and like someone in the back was like smooth energetic child with a cocky attitude Kishimoto was like good good <laughs> I like the way this guy thinks oh my god the moment I saw it's like a little tiny kid with crazy powers who by the way I don't know at what point this series just became fucking JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, but this kid's powers make no goddamn sense in the world of Naruto. So this kid latches onto Code's back like a backpack. And so Code, of course, right away is just like, I'm going to kill him. And Ada's like, don't do it, Code. And so he's like, okay, since I'm in love with you. And so this kid refers to Ada as sis. And he's very, he's an over, he's an overprotective little brother. He doesn't like it when men get close to his big sister. Anyway, some guards show up so that they, so that the kid can demonstrate his powers. I mean, so that they can <laughs> try and stop them. And so they immediately are like, we need to stop them because we're under orders to kill the samurai, uh, the cyborg. If I almost got me, Kishimoto, I said samurai <laughs> instead of cyborg. <laughs> So one of them just like pulls out like a freaking buster cannon and he tries to shoot uh, them with it. And instead, it he, the, guy, the guy gets shot in the face somehow. So another guy has an axe because, you know, these guys have very like streamlined weapons. One has a sword. One has an axe. One has Mega Man's arm cannon. So <laughs> he lifts up his axe and the axe appears in his forehead. And then the kid's like, also, I kick people. And he kicks <laughs> one of the guys. The last guy is like, you asshole. And he tries to draw his sword and his own head gets chopped off. And Code's like, is he reflecting his opponent's attacks? And Ada says, the stronger the intent to kill, the more powerful the reaction. A foe simply picturing the killing scene will cause the end result to be instantly reflected upon him or her. So you be careful too, Code. And... Oh, this kid took out these four nameless goons all by himself so easily. And Ada says, allow me to introduce my one other knight and actual little brother, Damon. Oh, and he's got a little white streak in his hair. He's very cool. 
<laughs> Except in any actual way. He's the lamest character I've seen in quite some time. Uh, outside of Code, obviously. Who's so lame, he whoops around and becomes cool again. Right. Anyway, it's time to finish that scene. With oh, my God. What a fucking long, shitty chapter. Holy shit. We have an hour left to talk about the rest of the recap. <laughs> so... Sumire says, yeah, I decided to spy on you on my own because I'm worried about what you're planning to do with Kwaki and Boruto. And apparently I'm literally the only one who still doesn't trust you in this entire village. And I'm a 12 year old powerless girl. And Amato says, you're either really smart or really stupid. Which is it? If you had just kept quiet and not admitted what you were trying to do, maybe I would have kept on talking and you would have gotten some more intel. And Sumire is like, so you are planning something, right? <laughs> Tell me. Come on. <laughs> and I was like, all right, so I guess you're just stupid. And that's where the chapter ends. We could have ended on this little boy kills people by making them kill themselves. And instead we're like, wow, you're a little you're a really stupid little girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. This chapter was lame. It was, it was just was so amazing. fucking long. It's so goddamn long, and it's just nonstop explanations. Boruto's been really bad the last couple of chapters i think that we're on like it's been like at least five it's basically been since kishimo took over the series since we actually had a good chapter like yes i mean it it feels mean to say it but i 100 percent would say the series is gotten worse since kishimoto has taken over it well maybe some of those maybe some of those gears were already in place you know, maybe some of these things couldn't be stopped. Maybe some of it's just reading into it, but it's legitimately like, I just don't want to read all of this exposition and Oshutsufication and vessels and more lame fucking 12 year olds with superpowers. And I don't know. It's uh, not even just the way that Kishimoto seems to write stuff now. It is the fact that, like, because someone with a different style took over the series, it suddenly feels very different. And so the stuff that we liked about Boruto before is not in it as much now. And, yeah, it's frustrating. Kaiju number eight, chapter 37. Uh, well, Kafka's kaiju form got really big and is towering over Isao now. And uh, he still wants to, you know, not kill the guy. Uh, but uh, he still can't stop his body. Isao is doing, is unleashing everything that he's got against Kafka's monster form. He launches another twin blast with both of his fists. Kafka just wades through it. He goes for maximum shield in order to block the blow, and he manages to not get pulverized, but he's still knocked backwards. He, this is so cool does a freaking martial arts stance thing and he uses like his street fighter ultimate to summon a beam of electricity as if the kaiju number two is launching it from its mouth fires it at kafka and kafka eats it and drives him into the wall <laughs> and uh he's just like no this is bad i'm gonna kill the director general and he somehow looks up at Kikoru. I don't really know exactly how he manages to do this, but he knows that she's watching, and he's like, no, I'll be damned if I kill Kikoru's father right in front of her. Uh, still can't stop Kaiju number eight. Uh, he just grabs himself by the legs and just Hulk Loki's him, bashes him into the floor over and over again. And uh, 
Kafka and Kikora both flash back to when they met earlier on and she learned his secret and vowed, you know, if it turns out you're just another kaiju, I will kill you. But even so, while watching this, Kikora is like, I know what he is, but I still want to believe in him. And she shouts down to Kafka, not Kafka Hibino. This is the first time she said just his name, first name. Don't you dare give in to some some kaiju, you clawed. Which is great. <clears throat> so some would say a good enough moment to really do the awakening on. Yeah, it's odd how this unfolds. <laughs> so in his mind, Kafka goes after kaiju number eight to try and stop it. And instead it um, eats him. So that didn't work. Uh, it seems as if he's just going to give in to the kaiju completely now, as it's completely consumed all of his humanity outside his monster farm is pummeling Isao repeatedly into the wall. And Isao's like, well, I had hopes, but I see all is lost now. <laughs> just, you know, like, well, I fucked up. <laughs> Oop. Oopsie. <laughs> Sorry, guys. My bad. So it seems that Kafka cannot fight off the kaiju within him. But then he remembers Mina and she remembers that she said, I'll be waiting to him. And his consciousness is revived and he drives his hand into his own chest, forcing the kaiju to do the same. And the kaiju skin starts to crumble away as Kafka says, I am not kaiju number eight. I'm Kafka Hibino. It's a cool moment. It's just... The way we get there is not like I, capping the whole thing, like the catalyst that finally gets lets him get control is just a static shot of Mina's face looking pretty bored, to be honest, was like, oh, I was way more interested when the motivation was I don't want to kill uh, Kikoru's father in front of her, you know, and then her calling out. I was like, oh. Those should be, like, the real prime motivations that get him past it. I'd have been fine if Mina had been in them, but the, the big one probably should have been something with, like, an emotional core to it. And right now, we just don't have one with him and Mina. Like, it's it's we need a flashback or something at this point yeah. to give us a reason to care about their relationship. I can't just be told I need to. It's so when we were reading One Piece... Uh, a little bit over a year ago, we had that flashback with Odin to establish, you know, who he was and stuff. And this was right before we were introduced to Yamato, who bases his entire life around Odin. And that tells us, OK, he idolized this person for some reason. Can you imagine if we had been introduced to that concept without first being told this is who Odin was? This was his life. This is how cool he was. And this is why this person looks up to him. It is an informed oh, she's really great, and Kafka really looks up to her and idolizes her and wants to stand beside her without us feeling and experiencing why that is. Yeah. And I think that this would be a lot better if we had gotten that. Um, it came to a really crucial moment that could have hit a lot harder if we had seen more of that pre-existing relationship. Yeah, I, I would say if the if the if it stuck the landing off the emotional drive, the end of the chapter would have been good enough that I would have been like, oh, this is definitely like a chapter of the week nominee or something like that. But as it is, I'm like, it's a fine chapter. But unfortunately, I'm probably going to forget about this moment because it didn't have like that full build up and then fall that I kind of wanted. Mm -hmm. I thought it was OK, but it could have been great. Yes, so. that's that's exactly it. 
All right, Nick, let's talk real quick about Eden Zero Chapter 140i, Eye of Horus. No introduction to a character this week, I guess because we ran out of them. Uh, so <laughs> Shiki's on his way. He's doing his Dragon Ball flying thing. And uh, we cut over to the space battle because there's a giant space battle happening. And, uh, oh, God, what's the fucking big cat's name? It's a normal ass name, too. Like, fucking. Oh, God, damn. I'll go check on it. All right. Anyway, big cat guy and eraser are there. And they're like, oh, no, there are 10,000 of them. And this is uh, clearly supposed to be like a a despair point. Like you're supposed to be like, oh, no, our heroes are in bad straits. But it's literally impossible to tell because the space battle has no weight to it. And it happens in two pages. And then immediately fucking Justice shows up. And he's like, I'll save everybody. Grand champ. Boom. So he does. And that's it. Um, boom. It's done. Let's cut back to the underground tunnels. Rebecca's crying. And, and Weiss is scared. And yeah, that's uh, that's this guy's power. The Eye of Horus. I forgot his name. And I don't actually care about it. Anyway... Moskoy is like, ha, I could defeat you because you can't use your power on robots. And my chapter stopped loading, so I'm going to have to go off the top of my head. But he's like, you can't stop me. I, My power is, uh, is, is... Being a sumo wrestler. Yeah, you can't stop me. I'm a sumo wrestler. And, uh, nope, it turns out he can. Uh, his thing works on everybody, basically. It just takes longer to work on robots. So he makes Moskoy into something stupid. I don't even remember. Goodwin. That's the name of the cat. Thank goodness. I wanted to call it something with an N, but I couldn't remember what it was. Um, Anyway, Pino's like, all right, well, we have a brief moment. I'm going to use my EMP. And she does. And it breaks everybody out of their hypnosis. And then immediately the guy's like, okay, well, I got to stop this fucking robot now. So I'm going to use my mind control of the robot basically now. And he does. Um, And then he uses unhappy. And then he uses on Moskoy again. So now it's just Rebecca and Weiss. And that's the chapter. He's like, yeah, pretty much. now I'm going to use fatal hypnosis. Yes. Um. I, so I guess Weiss and Rebecca will fight. I don't know. This was a, a real waste of a chapter. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, the one bit I want to make note of is that he hypnotizes Pino and uh, says, you're a mole now. And so Pino's like, I am a mole. Mole, mole. And because she apparently doesn't know what moles do. And that that's the one joke that's like, yeah, okay. Because And people say, like, that's not what a mole says. And she keeps on doing it. Yeah. Look, she can't understand your human speech. She's a mole. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, otherwise, dumb chapter. Let's move on to a great chapter. Until C. <laughs> so we have something to talk about today. <laughs> We went on this whole thing last week where we were like, I guess I tell C is sticking around because it looks like two <laughs> series are being canceled in order for two series to come in. It turns out that was wrong. I think this is the penultimate chapter of I tell C. And it does not feel like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> so next week will be the last chapter of I tell C. Okay. I don't really know how you're going to get to that point, but all right. Um, and I still think that Nine Ball, Nine Dragons Ball Parade is probably going to end. Uh, it, it likely... I, no, look, I don't want to say this with any kind of authority, because obviously we said the same thing last week and we were very wrong. I think Nine Balls 
will be continuing for a little bit longer, which is why as we get to the chapter, it has it's actually like getting into the match itself as opposed to right. like skipping straight through it. I don't think it's going to end in two chapters like it probably would need to. I think it's going to last a little bit longer, but not long enough to really matter all that much. I am going to catch out while I'm behind and not make a prediction on this. Okay. I, I, uh, I was pretty confident uh, last week, and I have no longer got any confidence on making predictions on this, so I am pulling out. I'm so, going to be extra confident. Blue Box is going to get an anime announced within the next three weeks. Okay. <laughs> ITLC, <laughs> chapter 20, Blast! Uh, we open up on a guy in a hoodie, and oh, there's a time bomb. Oh, no. Oh, no. We cover it to the I agency. Um, Mizawi has made a bento box for Sakon, and he is really freaked out by it because it is not barbell shaped. Actually, she thinks that it might be poisoned. Uh, but uh, he says, did you, did you, you didn't just happen to have like a lunchbox for me, did you? And she says, no, I made it for the dine-in dasher that was arrested the other day. But uh, I got rejected by the police, so I'm giving it to you instead. Okay. Akiraka tells them to go on the streets because there is work for them to do. There is a case. And it turns out that uh, there is a culprit in the police box who has a bomb. And there is some reddish-headed guy who we were introduced to who probably would have been an important character at some point or another uh, if the series weren't being cancelled next week. Uh, he wants to uh, hit on Ms. Aoi, but um, they have important police business to conduct. So he says, yeah, so I was sweeping outside the police box and a man came in and I tried to address him, but then uh, I got called away by the sergeant and uh, then... The guy uh, threw a fucking stick of dynamite uh, into the guy's head. Presumably it's a firecracker. And uh, then he revealed that he has a bomb strapped to his shirt. And he's like, a person whose first name starts with A, bring them to me. And if you don't comply, I'll detonate this right now. So he's holed up in the police box now. And Sakan's like, oh, no. Hmm, wait a minute. A name that starts with A. Sorry. Hang on. Let me get into a name that starts with A? Wait a minute. I know someone with the... Oh, no! Mazawi, where'd you go? And she, of course, has gone inside the police box, and she's like, I'm Risa Ayawi at your service. And uh, the bomber is like, Ah, I've been waiting for you. That's a nice name. Uh, and uh, then uh, Sakan comes in, and he's being a little bit flirty with her, so she's receptive to that. Anyway, there's a time bomb that is stuck to the guy's shirt. Oh, no! And, uh, he, they talk, yeah, and, um, so, he says, kid you not, it's dangerous here, kudos for the effort, but only I have to die here, and Sakon's like, why is he talking that way, and, uh, I always like, am I to assume that you plan this being a suicide bombing? And he's like, keen deduction detective, kooky as it is, this is rigged to blow whether the timer ticks down or you try to rip it off. Sad, isn't it? As for how you can stop the bomb. And he reveals that there is a thing where you can input a several letter password to stop the bomb. And as I would, you know, guesses this. And uh, 
the guy keeps on so- talking and he's like, S words. My sentences start with S words. Now they start with T words. It's a lot of word gimmicks to this character. And uh, I'll, it, it's very amusing to me that this is the note the series is going to go off. <laughs> yes. Uh, he will kind of get on this alliterative thing where his answers, his responses to them start with T. They'll start with K. They'll start with N. They'll start with H. They'll start with, uh, with yeah. So like, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. So eventually, you know, like Mizawi is like, okay, we'll figure out the password if we just talk to him. And Sakan's like, I don't really understand what this guy is saying because he keeps on saying all of his sentences starting with the same letter. But I guess if Ms. Aoi talks to him, she's smart and she'll figure it out. So she starts asking a bunch of questions and he keeps on answering, you know, with very civil responses. And eventually Ms. Aoi, like, nuzzles up to him and is like, you know, if you've got a burn to bear, you can just tell me. And he's like, yeah, away, yeah. And uh, so... Uh, they're like, oh, you're not giving us enough clues. Just tell us the password. And he's like, M responses now. And so I was like, oh, you know, you're trying so hard to make us guess the password. You set up your shot at survival. Uh, so I think that you're actually, you know, trying to make a call for help. So, and he's actually shaking. And, uh, then, uh, he pulls out a phone and he's like, I'm going to record my will now. Why words? Our words. Uh, and, uh, then, uh, I would like, you know, want some more response. They're running out of time. They're past one minute. She starts asking more questions. What is your name? How old are you? What's the password? What's the letter? And the Sakan's like, there is no time. Uh, maybe we could guess, but no, we have to leave. I've got to evacuate with Izaoi. But Ms. I was like, no, wait, why won't you answer my question? And then she's like, what's your favorite animal? And he gets, and he says, Wombat and Sakan, you know, turns back and Mizawa says, The password is this. And Sakan rushes to input the code, and there's so little time left. I wonder if they got the password from all those nonsensical responses that all happened to start with the same letter and strings of, of sentences the guy was saying. Anyway. That's the chapter. I applaud how much work had to go into translating this chapter to try to make it make a lick of sense. And uh, it seems very difficult. The author also noted in their author comments that this is a solvable puzzle. So, you know, good luck for all of you diehard ITLC fans, the ITLC Knights, as we call them, uh, who are trying to figure out this puzzle. but we all can agree that objectively, if the next chapter is the best, the, the, the last one, the best way to end this chapter would be for Sakon to accidentally hit the space bar and then it explodes and it kills everybody. And that's just the end of the it's... series. So, uh, and Akirara yeah. is uh, typing his whole thing. Like he's like doing his whole, like, yes, that was the end of the ITLC. Oh, wait, no, I forgot. They all blowed up in a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone exploded. Uh, needed more stupidity. Uh, for my taste, yes. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Magu. M- Ruru's mom is missing in Magu-chan, chapter 48, a fatherly figure. Uh, so 
they uh, are going to go and visit Ruru's father's grave. And it's, you know, they're, they're, it's a very formal occasion. Ruru is dressed up in really nice clothes, which he's not really comfortable wearing because he, just, he doesn't like, you know, having to spend money on expensive tastes and stuff. Uh, Magu is only concerned with the fact that they're apparently going to uh, make an offering, which he doesn't understand because, you know, he's like a little kid. But he hears the word offering and he's like, oh, is that the offering? It's a bunch of flowers. Can you eat these? I will accept them. And of course, Ruru's like, no, they're not for you. They're for dad. Uh, Magu has no idea what this means. He thinks that she has found another god to pray to. Uh, they go and visit uh, the, the Miyanagi family grave. And uh, Magu's like, father, it is a stone. And they're talking about really serious stuff about how, like, you know, he died when she was like six. And Magu's like, what is a father? So, really, uh, yeah, he doesn't get it at all. They, uh, after they make the visit to the grave, uh, they then go to get some food at uh, Ren's family's restaurant. And Magu is trying to figure out still what's going on. So he goes and talks to Naputaku. And he says, do you have father? And Naputaku is like, a father? Well, the lead chef is a father. And we're given a big proper introduction to the Fujisawa family father, Roku, who is a very quiet, stern man who is like the the main chef at the restaurant. Uh, and uh, so Magu is trying to f- uh, figure out what's going on still. Uh, Naputuko hears that uh, the next order to go out is two specials and three orders of pudding. And Naputuko is like, it's my time to shine! <laughs> and he pulls some putting out but first he he turns to uh roku who is the head chef for a taste test because he understands that you know they need the head chef's consent before giving anything to the customers and roku tries the pudding and he gives naputuku the thumbs up and naputuku is so happy he's he so did a sick. good he did a good pudding and he and he's gonna be like three puddings coming <laughs> out right now and red's like no the dessert comes out last <laughs> he's very happy i like him this whole sequence could have been like a beautiful little like two page uh, bonus thing and it would have been amazing. But it's a great little thing that's thrown in here. But uh, from this, Magu now has more perceptions that he's gaining about what fathers are and why humans worship them so. Uh, but uh, then he, uh, you know, gets taken away from the kitchen by Ren uh, and Rin so that, you know, Roku can work. And uh, he's like... I shall ask you then, what is your father like? And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Okay, fine. But uh, later on, uh, Rue and her mom get back home, and Magu is mimicking Rue's father's gravestone in its shape because he thinks that this will get him worshipped more, and he's being stern and quiet like Roku because that's the only father he's met so far. And he's like, I don't get it. Why Why is it you're responding and worshipping uh, me and all this stuff? Uh Ruru's mom's taking in stride. She uses his block shape to act as a table for her laptop to do work on. Um, And we get a little bit of a flashback explaining that he picked this stuff up from what he was told by Ren and Rin about their dad. Uh, Rin says that the reason that she acts the way that she does is because she takes after their dad. You liar. Um, But... uh, then later on, uh, you know, like he tries to do some other stuff that uh, he picked up from Rin, like, oh, you know, he would dry my hair when I got out of the bath and stuff. And so Ruru comes out of the bath and he 
breathes really heavily on her to get her to dry off. And of course, this just pisses her off. He, go- <clears throat> he goes to Oneris for advice about uh, about fathers, because this chapter, you know, can't be perfect. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I actually like the direction this goes in. So fine. Uneris obviously only knows about fathers from what she's picked up from TV. So Ragu shows up the next day and he's got like a widow's peak and a mustache and he's reading the newspaper and he, and he asks her if she wants to go play catch. And then when he gets mad, he tries flipping over the table. So playing up a lot of stereotypes. He pisses Ruru off again because he gets some sauce on her shirt. And Ruru says, I hate you! Because, you know, he's being frustrating, of course. And then finally that night, he talks with Ruru's mother. And she gets the explanation of what the hell is happening. And Magu's at his wit's end trying to figure stuff out. And Ruru's mother says, you know, you're not off the mark. Look, it's important that there be anger and tears and misunderstandings because that helps you to understand each other better and Rue was always a good little girl when she was around us she didn't get into fights with her parents so this is actually a valuable thing for her to learn more about to you but if you want to know more about her father you can go look inside the storage room and the next day uh magu is out and about and Rue. Starts to head to school and she sees that Magu has uh, cleaned up the shirt that he spilled the sauce on the previous day. And uh, they they apologize and make up. Well, Ruru apologizes. Magu doesn't know how to apologize. Um, so she says, do you want to come to school with me? And Magu's like, very well. I shall grant you special divine assistance. I shall aid you in walking. Climb onto me. Because he's trying to give her a piggyback ride like her dad would. But Ruru has no idea what the hell is going on. So they just go to school while her mom pulls out the photo album and uh, says, you know, they've got a really wonderful relationship, don't they, dear? And there's a little picture of Ruru riding on her dad's shoulders. Yeah. It's a very cute chapter. I loved it. Uh, This is the kind of thing that I really love Magu for. It's, Uh It's a very funny series, but the heartwarming stuff is what it is amazing at. And uh, so really, really like this. Again, I think it's it. I know it's wasn't intentional, or maybe it was, and just didn't realize it. But like this chapter dropping on Father's Day was like just like the perfect kind of touch, where I was like, "Oh, now I'm emotional," <laughs> in a way I wasn't expecting to while reading Magu-chan. and uh, it's excellent. It was it was it was a really really fun chapter. A lot of really good jokes, um, but a lot of very cute moments and and some genuine sincerity there towards the end. And Naputuku got approval from his dad. Uh, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I really cared about. Uh, well, I, I meant, I don't know, like, does Japan celebrate Father's Day when we do? Isn't Father's Day kind of like a, a crafted thing here? I do not really know. Could not tell you. Okay. So. Let's see. I'm going to type it in. You, you start talking about other things. Yeah. Nine Dragons Ball Parade, Chapter 18, Monster. So, uh, Tsubaki uh, is all set. They do, Nick. It was the same day, so it definitely was intentional then. Now this makes me angry at Horikoshi, though. You did do that on Father's Day, you goddamn monster. (laughs) He spilled his goddamn box of food. Agu is definitely very aware of, like, um, holiday stuff that's happening. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, it definitely games for those things a lot more than a lot of manga surrounding it too yeah uh so 
Subaki is set to face off against Iki as the leadoff uh, batter. And so he's going to be like, oh, yeah, uh, it's, I've got you all scouted. I've got to figure it out from that video that Four Eyes lent us. So bring it. And he strikes out. And Iki says to him, you talk big and go down easy. You're the perfect supporting character. <laughs> Just buries him immediately. Aww. And uh, throughout the entire entire game up to the end of the chapter, Iki just like completely shuts down the opposing team. He's striking out batters left and right. Uh, then he gets on to base immediately as the leadoff batter by bunting and, you know, catches people off guard. But in addition to being an incredible power hitter, he's also absurdly fast because, of course, he is a very accomplished track and field star. So uh, he's got uh, that. He gets on base from a bunt, and then he steals from first to second, and then he steals from second to, to third, and then he steals fucking home because why not? <laughs> um, rather, it's, he doesn't even steal. It's actually a grounder to third, but he's just so fast that he just takes off from that and makes it home. So uh, he gives them the lead by just base running really quickly, basically. And... Uh, Things uh, don't get better from there. They, the entire rest of the team doesn't really do any damage to Kokoryuzan, but Kokoryuzan can't score because he's such a good pitcher. So then uh, Ryudo's like, okay, guys, I'll get him out. I'll strike him out. So he starts using his freaking rising dragon. The first uh, pitch gets Iki caught looking. He just takes it as a strike. Uh, and then he throws another one, and Iki's like, what the hell kind of pitch is this? And he swings uh, all late, pops the ball up, and they're like, yeah, all right, he popped the ball up, we're going to get it out. Oh, God, he hit it so hard that it just freaking went outside of the of the park. He hit a home run <laughs> because he's that broken. So immediately they're like, shit, what do we do? We're down 3 nothing." And um, then... Uh, uh, uh no, what's his name? Eo. Eo nervous no. kid. Who gives a shit, Nick? The yeah. series is done yeah. for. <laughs> he, he's like, well, if we're gonna lose, if we can't beat him, then at least we'll, we shouldn't embarrass our humiliate ourselves. So he manages to get on base by bunting, and uh, then it comes to the next batter. It's Taiga, the really loudmouth guy who's got the one side rubber with with Sarugi. And he's like, now, macho man, Toromoto will show you how a real slugger hits. And that's the end of the chapter. Well, uh, one of the Kokoryuzan players just said they were going to what's up. And uh, the last time that happened, it played out really well. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, this is a chapter. It exists. Uh, I guess we'll get whatever character study was meant to be done with uh, the loudmouth character here because we don't have time to do anything else, really. And, uh, you know, that's it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. Yeah. Let's talk about Dr. Stone, then. Z equals 201 Morse talk. Uh, So... We get a kind of silly little sequence where a, a swordfish is freaked out by how fast the new Perseus is moving because... Which is crazy because swordfish are like the fastest fish. If my knowledge of Donkey Kong Country is correct, they're the fastest fish in the world. And Kohaku says, this boat can compete with my top speed on land. <laughs> Which people are like, okay. <laughs> um... Then they're like, they kind of, a bunch of them all do the sort of 
I'm flying Jack thing. But then they're like, ah, enjoy that cool, refreshing breeze. Oh, God, it's actually really hot now. Let's go below the deck where there's air conditioning. Which I feel that. So, yeah. Uh, yes, they have air conditioning because it's related to having a rocket engine, I yeah. guess. I don't know. Uh, Senku says that everyone needs to learn Morse code because they're going to be a, doing a lot of communicating with all the different parties around the globe. And uh, so they start doing that. We get a collage of various scenes that are unfolding uh, from around the different locations to people, you know, saying like, oh, okay, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. Um, there's not really a lot that actually gets established by this, though. I don't think that we actually, like, learn anything important from this two-page spread. It is nice, but oh well. Um, and uh, then later on, it's, the f it's a full moon. Chrome's looking up at the moon where their enemy is. And he says to himself, you know, when the Y-Man revealed himself, that was because we were shooting radio waves all over in the air. And that's how the jerk noticed us. So now if we're shooting all these messages back and forth, isn't that going to get Y-Man's attention again? And so he starts listening in on the radio and, and uh, he something takes him off, you know, uh, disturbs him. And at the same time, the crews in their two other cities noticed this as well as we get reactions from the radio guy from the American uh, kingdom and uh, Ukyo reacting to news as well. Um, they have gotten a message from the moon. So uh, Chrome comes bursting in on Gen and Senku as they're planning stuff. Senku is establishing that, yeah, there's a place that we, that uh, has a lot of fluoride that we need. So we're going to go there. But Chrome's like, we got a message from Y-Man and Senku's like, yeah, Okay, and yeah, we but yeah, we were communicating over the radio. It was it was we were bound to you know get a message from him where he's going why again. So who cares? But Chrome says no, that's not it. So I don't really know English, uh, so I don't know what he was saying. But it's different from when he was broadcasting WHY. So he they listened to the message, and it turns out the message is, "Do you want to die?" <laughs> Y-Man has zero chills. <laughs> um, it's, um, takes the, f they basically envision him as like another demonic thing with his hand groping around Senku's face. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So Senku, Senku's like, okay, I, I, that's nice. Um, uh, Ryusui suggests that they send a message, uh, back to him. And, and Gen's like, no, 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 no. But then he whispers something in Francois' ear to send and said. Uh, and, uh, but nothing uh, comes of it. Uh, no matter what message they send back, uh, nothing nothing actually changes that uh, Y-Man is sending. But Gen says, this was not profitless, though. We are gaining a clear picture of this Y-Man entity. It has a will of its own. It has no desire to respond to our overtures. It only sends warnings. It must think itself superior to us in which case it will not fly into a panicked rage and send medusas raining down at least not anytime soon so this reassures them basically that they have the time to actually carry out their plan go to the moon and carry out their invasion basically uh but he says we have to get uh three different things in order to carry out a moon landing mission we need spacesuits a spaceship and a proper rocket engine to get us up there so we're going to go to Spain because there is a bunch of fluoride deposits in Barcelona. 
and that'll let us make uh, for it will let us make the suits and it'll let us make the ship. So that's where we're going. And uh, then we close the chapter on this super ominous Star Warsy shot of the moon looming over the earth, which is really cool. Yep, this is a chapter. Uh, we get a little bit of detail in it and not a ton else. I guess we kind of learn a little bit more of like sort of the significance of the members of this team and we kind of see what different groups are doing. Um, I do think there is an issue here. Uh, it appears as though Kahaku is wearing Fujoshi underwear. If she wants to unlock the full power of her wind, she's going to have to get rid of those. Uh, so, you know, maybe that'll be a plot line that comes up in the future. Um, but it's, you know, something to keep in mind. She's holding herself back by wearing those. Yeah, that's, uh... We should have a whole chapter dedicated to getting rid of them. And then it should have a really big payoff yes. later on in the combat scene. When you find out she can squeeze her butt cheeks together and get more wind out of them. Anyway, let's move on to Mashal. <laughs> let's talk about Mashal, Nick. This is Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter 67, Mash Burned Dead and the Four Diamond Rings. Cool cover, uh, color spread. I actually like the cover of Jump this week a little bit more, which had it as sort of like a fighting game between the two of them, uh, which was very cool. Yeah, but with their health bars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. we opened the chapter exactly where we left off. Cell War summoned Hephaestus, the god of iron. And I like Mashal, who's what, just, what now? Yeah, Mash just like, what, what? Uh, that is its true form. It's basically a long rod with, like, kind of uh, barbed wire rod, like, tendrils kind of wrapped around it. And then these four diamond uh, chakras, basically, or chakrams, basically, uh, hanging out on the side. So uh, it's a very deadly wedding. He said, uh, deadly weapon. He sends uh, two of the diamond cutters at Mash. He's like, wow, that's a close call. And he looks, and he's like, Holy shit, they cut through my school. And uh, Cell War explains, yes, those blades are diamond-tipped. There is nothing they can't cut. And also, they will continue hunting you down until they kill you. So, Mash... And, uh, since they're diamond cutters, they can come from out of nowhere yes. from any position. You never so know when it's going to you. got to watch out, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Mash is like, all right, well, I better ignore them and then go straight for it. And then as soon as he says that, he dodges just in time as one of the uh, uh, cutters comes right at him. Uh, and he dodges them, and he's like, oh, you're holding back two of the cutters so that I can't get close to you. This is bad. Four is too, too many. <laughs> uh, Cell War is like, oh, you scared? Well, I wouldn't try to run, though, because if you do, and he sees up above, he summoned the Black Diamond, uh, you know, basically a giant spine of his, his uh, is it diamond things he uses or obsidian? It's iron, I believe. Iron. Yeah, that's right. So he has this this very deadly thing above them. He's like, yes, a wand unleashed via summon spell doesn't just have its own power uh, enhanced. The level of magic you can unleash is incomparable. These thousand diamond shards will impale all these wastes of space. You thought you had found a nice home for yourself? You like these worthless hanger-ons? They're all going to die. Just give up already, mash burn dead. So Mash turns about, uh, the back of his cloak gets cut, and then he runs off. And so we're like, wait, why is he running the opposite direction? Is he just abandoning the students? Huh, I guess I beat him up so much he gave up. And then Mash is behind him. He's like, I circled the school to shape the ball. 
And he's like, wait, you outran the disc? How fast would you need to be to do that? And he's 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 clinging to me so tight. He, he's trying to pull me down with him. And then he says, oh, but it's a shame. You forgot I could do this. And he's turned his skin into diamond. He says, no strike can bake through this, but I can cut you. I'm completely protected while you'll take a fatal blow. And we just see a silhouette of the, the thing go in. And, oh, my God, Mash falls to the ground. Nick, Mash is done. He's bleeding oh, out. Selwar's gloating. He's like, not so tough after all. Another waste. Aren't you a miserable sight? Now to slice all of your friends in two. And he looks at Mash. He's like, a cream puff? What's going on? <laughs> and then Mash stands up. He says, cream puff party. And he just starts shoving cream puffs into Selwar's mouth. <laughs> Until he's like, oh, I'm choking. I'm choking. And we cut back to reality. And he is choking because Mash got behind him and is locked in a chokehold. And basically choked him out. And there's a whole yeah. explanation about how... He Samoa Joe'd his ass and he went out immediately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, essentially, yeah. There's a whole explanation about how basically Mash just did a chokehold in about a, a second, basically. And because of that, Cell War is down. Uh, all of his spells end. The, the Black Diamond shatters before anyone could be hurt. And Mash finishes off the chapter by saying, I care a lot about this school. If you want to destroy it, then get ready to be choked out. Which is a fucking badass line. <laughs> Unbelievably, from what I understand, this thing that MASH did is like the most anatomically accurate thing that has happened in all of MASH so far. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, if you do a blood choke on someone, if you get it on right, they will be out really, really quickly. So, <laughs> but I do love this. I think that it's a great, um, you know, there's the shock of like, oh, shit, he just got murdered by this disc and then when you you see the creep up thing you're like did he somehow create a body double or something like that and then you get the actual reveal of what happened and, and you're like wow that's really awesome so yeah cool stuff i do i i do really enjoy just tim getting shoved with cream puffs and be like i'm choking i'm choking to the reality of oh i am choking but not because cream puffs are being shoved in my mouth it is a very cool thing. I, I also just like the way it ended. Like he he starts by seeing his school get cut, and he's like, "Oh, my school!" And then the threat that they'll kill everybody, and then just ending the chapter by being like, "I care a lot about this school, so if you want to destroy it, get ready to be choked out." He's a fucking professional wrestler now. Like he has like taunts to like leave an interview with. Yeah, turns out the the one answer for the diamond cutter is a sleeper hold. Yeah. <laughs> uh well, let's think about it. Randy Orton has never broken out of a sleeper hold in his life, I don't think. So <laughs> that's, that's right. just logic. His 50-year <laughs> career, and I don't think he's ever had to break out of a sleeper hold. Prove uh, me wrong, but don't. Yeah, it would be very easy to do. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah, great chapter. Let's move on to another very fight-heavy chapter in The Elusive Samurai, Chapter 21, Bleeding, 1334. Uh so we get the reveal of the technique that Fubuki taught Tokiyuki, and it's very simple and very cool. Uh, he explains that, you know, when you are striking with a sword, it's more efficient to be pulling than pushing, just as with a knife or a saw. If you pull the blade, it makes it actually more efficiently cut. So you'll cut actually much more efficiently if you cut while retreating, which is perfect for you because you're so good at fleeing. But uh, Toki pulls up like, yeah, but if I do that, it's only going to like cut skin or muscle. It's not going to kill my opponent. But Fubuki says, don't worry. That's the essence of the elusive sword. 
you raise your left hand to aim, wait for the opponent, uh, for your the moment your opponent's sword passes between your hand and your blade, and then swing your upper body to the left while dodging to the right and let the sword fall under its own weight. And that will let you cut efficiently while dodging. And he does this. He nimbly ducks away to the side as uh, his opponent, I forget his name already, uh, tries to attack him. And he cuts him right on the wrist where his wrist is not armored and draws a ton of blood because, you know, he got cut with a katana along the wrist. That's going to hit a lot of, you know, freaking veins and arteries. He doesn't react too concerned, though, because he's just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a good target. But uh, I'm not going to die from that. So I'll just kill you in this shack and then I'll patch myself up. And while we're in this cramped space, I'll slowly corner you and I'll murder you. And Tokiyuki gets excited by this prospect. Very much so. So we cut away then to Kojiro and Ayako, who are dealing with one of the lieutenants in the uh, bandit uh, army. And they're having a really difficult time dealing with him because his superior reach with his pole arm keeps them at bay. And he's mocking them as they do this. Uh, and uh, he lands a glancing blow on, uh, on on Ayako as they're dancing around him, and they're forced to back off. And he mocks them by saying, you know, they just don't have the the uh, experience to, to take him on. He says, you know, if you'd had 10 years, you could have been fully-fledged fighters. You could have enjoyed the pleasure that that brings, the pleasure of using brute force against the weak, of stealing, of violence. My boss took me in, and he taught me those things. But your boss, Sua Yorishige, plays the saint. He can't do that. And uh, Kojiro's like, well, yeah, well, Yorishige is not our master anymore. I don't really (laughs) care. I was mocking you, so I don't care. Uh, But he says, you know, you're going to die here. Shizuku hits him with a blow dart because she's perched up in a tree and uh, he wasn't paying attention to anyone outside the two kids, which is probably a bad idea when you're doing a bandit raid. She says, you pray on the weak, but he orders us to protect the weak. He's a true warrior. Uh, then Kojiro and Ayako come rushing in again. Ayako tries to attack him from behind. He spins his pole arm around to try and get her. And Ayako responds by grappling the pole arm. She just grabs it with her gloved hands around the blade and the hilt and then wraps her entire body around it so he can't wield it anymore. And he's trying to get loose with uh, his weapon loose. He's stopping away at her while Kojiro, of course, is able to come in completely unopposed because his weapon is disabled. And while he does this, they think about how they have only a year and a half until the time that Yorishige prophesied. And Tokiyuki may only be 10 years old, but if we... Rather, the two of them may only be 10 years old, but if we can't defeat adults, we'll never be ready for the young lord's great battle. And, uh... Kojiro does this leaping, spitting, vertical slash thing, which really fucks their opponent up. And he's dropped down to one knee. And Kojiro says, tell the demons in hell that our lord is Hojo Tokyuki, the rightful heir to the Kamakura Shogunate. And uh, Ayako's still holding on to the guy's polearm, so she snaps it up and uh, cuts his head off. Yay! Yeah, she does. She, like, golf swings that thing, too. It's ridiculous. She gets fucking wind-up to it. We cut to inside the hut where Tokiyuki was, oh, no, he's going to be cornered by the bandit guy, and he's going to have to run away. And, uh, yeah, 
can't catch him, can't hit him at all whatsoever because he's slowed down by his armor. And also he's gradually losing blood from a huge pulsing wound in his arm. Uh, he even tries to fling his own blood at Tokiyuki to blind him. And Tokiyuki just eh, blinds around it, dances around it. And the bandit is like, he's just dodging everything. Is this kid a monster? And Tokiyuki is envisioned as this like dancing sprite surrounded by feathers and flowers and stuff while holding a sword and dodging his opponent's blood. Yay. It's very crafty. Very cool chapter. I think uh, pretty much everything here feels satisfying and cool. Like it's a cool way they beat the one dude and Ayaku just chops his head straight off. Uh, it's very cool how they reveal the Buddha blade, and it's very cool how we see it's effective. Like, it's just a very cool execution of a chapter. Yeah, and uh, a nice, cool beginning a signature move for Tokiyuki to use that very much fits with the type of character he's supposed to be. So. Exactly. All right, Nick, let's wrap things up then with Black Clover, page 296, The Sacred Valkyrie. So last time... Uh, we found out that Noel was a saint stage character. Whatever that means. Yes. Uh, and she has Udine with her. And that's okay, because she's going to reveal her power. Uh, Verica tries to... Is it Verica? Yeah, who cares? Vanica, I think. Vanica, something like that. Uh, she summons a bunch of like red, you know, blood monsters and everything like that. But Noel's just too strong. She's like, hey, Undine's like, hey, you, you, we can't take our time here. You have to finish her within one minute we even have a moment where real says hey charlotte even if your blue roses weaken that curse warding magic noelle is incredible they'll kind of point out like she's really strong to be kind of handling this right now and noelle counters uh undine's request by saying no i'll end this in 30 seconds uh there's a bunch of little action scenes where she's dancing across and then we get a flashback to when vanica had kind of first gotten uh, the the devil power within her. So she's like, ah, you know, I wanted to try the devil's power out. Uh, there was this woman who was rumored to be the strongest, so I snuck out of the kingdom and wanted to go have some fun. And hey, it was Noelle's mom. And she's like, ah, entertain me more, Aesir. Uh, and a little baby Noelle was crying with Nozelle watching over her. And she's like, oh, I should kill these people, huh? These are your kids, right? And, uh, Basically, Aesir just has this whole thing of like, hey, let me tell you what the strongest thing in the world is. A mother protecting her children and basically stabs uh, Varric, uh, Vanica right through the stomach. Um, back then, I taken a lethal wound and Magicula told me to run. So I did. And apparently Vanica's remembered this now. So now she wants more, more. And she summons a big red beast and a well just fucking rip straight through it with the sea dragon's roar. And she says, you did whatever you wanted. And now I will make you pay for it. It ends the chapter by stabbing Vanica through the stomach, similar to how her mother did. Yep. It is a chapter. It is cool. It is not as cool as Magnus uh, situation, um, but I could still appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it's something that's obviously been built up um, because of the existing, you know, rivalry between Vanika and Noel. Um, the stuff with Aesir, obviously, we I think we were going to get it at some point or another. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, I mean, this very much feels like the, you know, 
ah, oh, the hero is strong and they're going to have a good fight now. But that's, you know, kind of the establishing thing before, like, the fight actually begins in earnest between them. Um, I did like the moment where she summons the red beast and Noel's just like, no, dragon, and <laughs> bursts it away immediately. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how the rest of this goes, I guess. So. Yep, and that will do it then. Yeah, uh, so... Let's uh, let's finish on some positive notes. Uh, what, what were our favorite series? What was the what was your favorite character this week? Your MVP? Uh, my favorite chapter this week. I think I'm going to have to oh, man. I think I'm going to give it to the series I was going to originally, even though rereading it did give me the same feelings it did at the time. So I'm going to give it to, to Magu-chan. I remember reading mm-hmm. the chapter the first time and really, really loving it. Um. So I'll give it to Magu-chan for that. I am going to give it uh, the same series for the exact same reason. Okay. I thought it, it was a precious little chapter from beginning to end. And also it had some very funny moments uh, interlaced throughout it. But for the most part, it was just very sweet to uh, go on this note. So yeah. uh, For my character of the week. And by the way, this is a week, I think, with a lot of pretty good chapters in there. Um, I think I'm going to give it to Tokiyuki from... Uh, the elusive samurai, just because I think the Buddha blade, the Buddha blade is a pretty cool technique, and I, I do like how it was used here. Hmm. I'm gonna give mine to Mash. Okay. For <laughs> knocking someone out with a sleeper. <laughs> it is very cool. I think that it's very specifically the way that it's drawn in the moment that you get the reveal of what has actually happened, where it just looks intensely brutal, despite the fact that, you know, there's no blood or anything, but the way that, uh, that, uh, code war. Cell war. Is that his name? Cell war. Cell war. Sorry. Uh, the way that he's foaming at the mouth and his eyes are bulged out, it makes it look really, really vicious. Yeah, you um, know what? Fuck it. I want to change mine to Mash, too. You brought up a good point. It's a really cool <laughs> chef. It's one of those, And I forgot how cool the ending line is, too, where he's just like, if you can fuck yeah, with anyone in my school, I'm going to choke you out. I was like, shit, that's a fucking dope line. Oh, God. So, um, yeah, but I agree there. I mean, there were not just a lot of good chapters this week, but there were you know a number of chapters that were just really good. Um, and it was nice to have to have, like, I did say like Magu kind of right away, but there was definitely some that was like, oh, that's, you know, very good chapter. So, yeah. Uh, the audience, by the way, picked Elusive Samurai as their chapter of the week. And with that, Ayako from Elusive Samurai is the character of the week, which I can get that. Yeah. She freaking golf swung a dude's head off. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so that is going to do it for Weekly Mock Recap, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this uh, episode that was brought to you by Credo Prime. Yes, um, Credo Prime and- presents, uh, and everything in this episode also endorsed by Credo Prime. I don't know if we said that, but uh, he thought Remember. he thought this chapter of Boruto was great. Um, he was he was all about it. So it's the best character ever. Uh, yeah, he's, so. he's been talking about Damien a lot, how he loves him. Uh, he's like, this is a cool character that I really dig and I hope sticks around. And uh, yeah, we will catch you guys next week for with more manga. We are going to begin reading, as mentioned previously, Pokemon Adventure. 
Heart Gold and Soul Silver. I, I'm, I didn't skip over anything. Shut up. Um, and uh, we'll have that for you soon. In the meantime, thank you guys for watching the show, listening to the show. We record here on twitch.tv slash T Wednesdays around 7.30 Eastern time in the evening. Uh, and uh, you can also follow along on Twitter at WMR Podcast, at Rolo T, at Nick F Time, uh, to stay updated on when exactly the show is going live. You can also join our Discord server. We would notify everybody when the stream goes live each week. And also you can use that to discuss each chapter as it comes out among our recommended series, or rather our recap series. You can also talk about the recommended series in a special chat while, and you can kind of read along and react with us in preparation for the episode where we talk about it. And there are bi-weekly game nights as well among the community. Yes. Uh, so it's a fun, fun Discord server. Join it. Uh, also, we'd like to extend special thanks to people who have supported us on Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash Weekly Manga Recap. You will have great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Follow along there because very shortly, very soon, there is going to be a monthly other recap. We can find out all the other fun stuff that's happening in Shonen Jump and all the Fundoshi-related antics. Uh, I've forgotten what I was going to say. We want to extend special thanks to Ninja X3i for maintaining the Google Doc associated with the Weekly Manga Recap, keeping track of all the statistics and recommendations for series like the one left by Carito Prime for Love Stage. Uh, and we want to extend special thanks as well to Steve Mann, our tile artist. You can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet and also on special episodes as they are posted to YouTube. Where You, you might see one. Even this week. Ooh. Weekly Maga Recap on YouTube to watch the video version. And uh, we also want to finally extend special thanks to the creators of the opening sequence of the video versions of Weekly Maga Recap, Wednesday Dale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz. Indeed. All right. That's it. We have nothing more to say. Yes. I had a stroke, guys. What, you want me to hang around here, come up with fucking tangents to leave you off on then, too? I don't fucking have time for that. Yeah, you know, we'll just end on a very positive note of, you know, bring that point up. <laughs> Guys, every second I'm alive is precious and it's fleeting. I can't stay around here. I talked about fucking Boruto and Black Clover. I don't have time for this. You owe us for talking about some of these things. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Credo Prime endorsed my stroke. <laughs> yeah, wait. wait. <laughs>